This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything you want. As we kick off another week of fun here, you can, of course, take control of the airwaves, the number 1-855-450-FREE. That's toll-free and brought to you by SACL CAI. It's 855-450-3733. And joining you in studio tonight, it's Ian. And Jason. And Luther. And, of course, we want to invite you to our website over at freetalklive.com. You can enjoy the various features you'll find there completely free. Uh, So, once again, that's freetalklive.com. Of course, much to discuss. We'll take your calls about whatever is on your mind as well. That's the point of the program. And for those that haven't maybe heard our weekend edition of the show, uh, the Occupy events uh, have been going on nationwide. Uh, Saturday was the National Occupy Day of some sort, and uh, events broke out that in places where they had not yet occurred, like here in our very own Keene, New Hampshire. I understand there's also stuff going on around the world uh, for the Occupy protests slash demonstrations slash whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. um, and and apparently you know in some places they're having more success than others new york city they had threatened to shut them down they backed down on that threat in other cities however they did uh, come in with police and they did take people's tents away and take their property uh, and make arrests as well so you know there's no consistency to whether or not uh, the occupies have been left alone across the country and um, so we're, we're certainly keeping an eye on that situation as it uh, continues to develop. I have been pretty much disconnected from the Occupy news for today, so I don't know if either of you have heard anything as far as changes on the the nationwide front. Uh, not so much as changes. Uh, I've I've watched uh, I watched another one of Adam Kokesh's videos um, down in D.C. They seem to still be there occupying. I heard from friends out in Detroit, the Detroit area, that they are there occupying. So it seems like it's it's still going strong. Yeah, New York City, uh, they're still there. Uh, I think they made an, an agreement with the private property owners that allow them to stay. They've been uh, keeping the place more clean. And, right. uh, and, and they can do that because I just read that they have raised uh, over $300,000. And uh, when I was there, they had a, a general assembly to um, spend $3,000 on like the cleaning Clean and maintenance. Up. And they were talking about getting like a... A certified professional to come through and uh, uh, you know certify that it is a, a clean area. So I think they're taking the right steps. Wow, and I think that's great. You know, a lot of people talk about the the collectivist nature, or, or they're all socialists. But what they're doing is they're creating a voluntary community. They're coming together. They're you know uh, feeding people, uh, protesters and, and homeless. Uh, you know, they're living together and they're trying to uh, make it work. So I'd love to see that in, in every community. People coming together like that. Yeah, I think a lot of the people that are complaining about Occupy whatever have not actually gone to any of the Occupy events. I think that you know they're just kind of viewing it from uh, from you know askance, and they're looking down and uh, looking at whatever the media is saying and taking that as you know the gospel truth. And I think that you know you really have to go to experience it to know for sure. And same with a, t- a tea party. You know, it's just not fair to label everybody at a tea party a fascist. Uh, the fascists are in attendance. Uh, as in the socialists are in attendance at the Occupy events. But that doesn't mean that there aren't also in attendance a bunch of people who maybe aren't so sure what they're looking for. Or they, you know, they, they know something's wrong, but they don't know what uh, they need to do to fix it. In right. fact, there was a post on uh, the radio forum, that one of the radio forums, is kind of like an industry radio rat forum uh, that I frequent from time to time, where uh, essentially the Occupy protests were being called out and someone apparently listened to an episode of this show where i had said that it's okay that people don't know what they want as though you have to know exactly what you want in order to go out and protest 
And I think it's entirely fine if you don't know what you want because you're getting around other people who have ideas and you can share those ideas with one another and inspire uh, each other and have conversations and then come home with something you didn't, you know, something you didn't know about prior to going to one of these events. Right. They're trying to exercise a direct democracy by coming together and trying to build their demands from there and figure out what they want instead of people showing up and saying this is what they demand. They're trying to get you know, a, a larger uh, group of people to come together. And I was just in New York City for about a week and a half, mm-hmm. uh, and I went to Times Square on the 15th, the, uh, the Global Day of Protests, and there were thousands, tens of thousands of people out there. Uh, some were tourists, sure, but... Um, I saw a lot of signs, and I try to treat everybody as individuals, but there was a lot of bad ideas in that crowd. One guy had a sign that said, I love government bacon, and I was able to interview him uh, about, uh, you know, where where do these taxes come from? What are you willing to do to people that don't want to pay for your government bacon? Oh, boy. And um, I, I think he got the point towards the end of our conversation that uh, government is force. And I think there's a lot of uh, misdirected um, uh, anger um, at, um, well, it's not misdirected. Banks and corporations deserve a lot of the blame, but banks couldn't get bailed out if it wasn't the government uh, forcing people to bail them out. Right. Uh, and corporations wouldn't exist because governments are the ones that create uh, corporations. Government is a legal fiction that creates other legal fictions. Sure. Well, businesses would exist, but corporations wouldn't exist. And those businesses likely wouldn't get as large as these mega conglomerate corporations that we see today simply because the marketplace would truly be open to competition. And it's that competition that uh, will keep those other businesses in check, which right now – they don't have that competition. The, the players in any given industry are usually the ones that have been there for a long time, and they're entrenched, and they're grandfathered in. So if like new regulations come out, frequently the, they don't apply to the businesses that have been there for a long time because they're the ones writing them. Mm-hmm. Or even if they do apply, the business is happy to accept those regulations because – or the corporation is, uh, is happy to accept those regulations and abide by them because for them, they're so large that the cost of implementing a regulation, whatever it might be – uh, is is very low if they spread it across all the costs of all their products and divisions. Whereas if it's a mom and pop startup, then it, having to jump through the same hoops is almost impossible exactly. in some cases. And so that means that you can't be a startup in a lot of industries. That you can't just open up your doors. You have to jump through a bunch of hoops, and you have to beg, and you have to uh, supplicate yourself, and you have to throw down a bunch of money at the feet of these bureaucrats uh, before they're going to even allow you to compete. Yeah. Well, there are also, uh, besides just corporations and mom and pops, you have co-ops, which mm-hmm. are sort of something in between. I don't know too much about them, but from what I do know, it's people coming together with their uh, collective resources and working towards one goal. Like there's employee-owned uh, businesses Sure, as well. sure. Yeah, there's one up in uh, White River Junction, just an hour north of Keene here. Yeah, so if people were able to actually innovate and enter in an industry and start a business without having to beg permission, that would mean there'd be more competition, more new innovators to come in to re- complete. I mean, it, it, an innovator with a great idea can revolutionize an industry. I mean, literally, in a very short period of time, can put the old dogs out of business and completely change the way things happen. Uh, but in many cases, you have to wonder, what are we not seeing? What are, what are the great ideas that have been thrown by the wayside because the inventor or the businessman basically looked at all the regulatory structure and said, ah, screw it, I'll just go back to a 9-to-5 job. Because I can tell you, I've had that experience where I, when I was younger, I looked into, you know, all right, what's it going to take to start a radio station? Because I was interested in radio, and I thought, well, I sure would be great to have my own station. And you know, I've got the 
it can't be that hard. Technically, it's not that difficult to put one of these things together. So I started looking into it, and it was just this maze, this uh, labyrinth of regulations and you know diktats, and it was just impossible to even get through it. I, like to to even wrap my mind around what was was required by the government in order to start a radio station. Right. You need somebody who knows how to read all that. A lawyer. A lawyer. You know, and to I be didn't able have to interpret for it for you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for the money you'd spend on just the lawyer to get you started with applying for a radio station, you could open a radio station. Yeah. But the cool thing is, uh, thanks to the Internet, uh, you know, what you're doing with um, LRN.FM, uh, you have uh, constant liberty uh, programming. And then what we're seeing is uh, in Manchester and uh, in Keene, uh, people are uh, broadcasting that. Well, on, they were, on, but on right the now those dial. stations are both off oh, the air. Oh, both of them are off the air. So... <laughs> But it can be done. It can be, yes. And I, I hope they return. I, th- I think eventually they will. I mean, the more the more liberty lovers that move here to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project, the more likely they're going to be property owners and people that are willing to take some risk. Because that's a risky endeavor, the idea of running a transmitter. People are afraid of what the FCC might do to them. Uh, and yeah. the, uh, They'll show up at your door and, and ask you to take it down, won't they? Typically, that's the first step. Although, there's one guy who claims that they that he got raided right out the gate. Wow. So, most of the time, they send a threatening letter, and that's about all. More coming up here, 855-450-FREE. If you stop, they leave you alone. This is Free Talk Live. My name is Jacob Hornberger. I'm president of the Future of Freedom Foundation, which Congressman Ron Paul awarded for having an outstanding freedom website. Write us at FFF at FFF.org, and we'll send you a free three-month subscription to our monthly journal of libertarian essays and our booklet, Economic Liberty in the Constitution, which George Mason University economics professor Walter Williams praised in a recent column. That's FFF at FFF.org. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up what you want. The toll-free number for you is 1-855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. Joining you tonight, it's Ian. And Jason. And Luther. Jason here, courtesy of his website, tally.tv. That's T-A-L-L-E-Y.tv. Jason, if people go there uh, tonight, what are they going to see? Um, well, I'm, I've been covering the uh, Keene occupation, and then uh, I have reports from Occupy uh, Wall Street, uh, but I'm... Uh, working on videos from my experience at uh, at both both places and some interesting stuff that I saw. I kept the cameras rolling the entire time. Yeah, it's been uh, here in Keene. It's been interesting. They uh, it's been small but good. I mean, Keene's a little town. Mm-hmm. There's only twenty five thousand people that uh, that live here, and there were over a hundred people in the park on Saturday. One guy camped out uh, heroically alone overnight. That night was left alone by the police. That night, the the police sergeant did come and talk to him, but he said he had no problem with him being there, so he was not uh, harassed beyond just a conversation. But then last night, uh, two tents were put up. There was another lady that came out, and before midnight, I think it was, uh, they were told to leave, mm-hmm. or or else they'd be charged with some city ordinance violation. And so rather than get arrested, they decided to go ahead and leave. Now, I don't know if that means that it's over. I don't know if that means there's going to be more coming uh, later in a, in a larger form in a different place. Uh, it remains to be seen where things are going to go around here. But if you want to share your experiences with the Occupy movement, you're certainly welcome to do so at 855-450-FREE. In fact, I've got some very interesting news about that coming up here. But Luther, I know you wanted to comment on kind of do-it-yourself stuff. We were, we were discussing how corporations work with the government to you know keep people 
people out of their businesses and their industries and uh, create all kinds of intrusive and obtrusive regulations sure, uh, to sure. prevent innovators from from jumping in and investing in, in business to compete. Yeah, but fortunately, people find ways around this. And the two greatest examples I can think of are hackerspaces um, and Fab Labs. Uh, a hackerspace is kind of a club for computer geeks to get together and, you know, they can kind of be hackers if they want. Or can, they can do whatever they want. They can build their own hardware. Uh, they can develop software together. And it's a sort of a club uh, slash – it's almost a business model because you can make a profit on it mm-hmm. um, if you produce a, a good service or, or goods you know, and put those out there into the marketplace. So it's like a LAN party but with productivity. Yes. Basically. Yes. And uh, so a Fab Lab is the same idea except it's for people who are into engineering, mechanics, metalworking. Machining. Yeah, machining in general. uh CNC stuff, lathe, uh, so they can come together and pool their resources and make uh, you know anything they want. Pretty much, it's it's a club. It's not necessarily a business. Um, so, is it normally that when you've got one of these fab labs, is it usually like one, a single investor who goes ahead and jumps through the hoops to create this, or are they, are they groups of people coming together? Well, I guess it money? depends on on the lab itself, but it, you could have either way. I mean, you could either have just one person put front the money to rent the space, you know, and everybody else pays dues to them, and they're mm-hmm. sort of the owner or the the deed holder or whatever of of that space and you you just kind of pay a, a membership like you would in any other kind of club come in and work and learn from other people um it's also good for uh, educational outreach i mean a lot of places uh, here in new hampshire will teach small engine repair uh and a fab lab would be great for that so basically you're paying to uh you know use the equipment and whatever wear and tear happens to that equipment paying for the space essentially right and the time yep cool now, what about uh, 3D printing? Do you know much about that? I know only a little about that. It's um, new. I it know is, that It much. is really new. I'd love to get my hands on one of those 3D printers and, and be able to take a closer look at them. I've only ever been able to watch videos of them because I don't know anybody who has one. Well, they've got uh, – isn't it like plastic that uh, they make things out of? I guess there's different things. It's a plaster of these. some kind. They, you can use different materials, and there are different methods for 3D printing. Um, some just kind of layer them – layer like one layer at a time. And then the next will etch whatever out of like a solid block of plaster. I saw the uh, – I remember I was looking into 3D printing and at one point there was – they put together a car, I guess. They like printed the yeah. parts for a car. Yeah. they. Andrew and I were discussing this and we talked about it on the show when Mark uh, was hosting up the Monday nights uh, while you were in Jalian. But mm. uh, we were talking about this and we were – he brought up the point, well, how how – how does it have any structural support if it's just made of plastic? There has to be some kind of metal in there for, like, the frame. Yeah. Uh, so maybe what they do is they just buy the chassis and they build everything else and then assemble it. Uh, yeah, I, wasn't too, I wasn't too clear on exactly how that went about happening. Sure, yeah, you sure. You can print metal. Um, I'm looking at this article on, in the New York Times, and it says it could be plastic or metal. Or metal? It just has to be a, a different type of printer, I guess. Okay. But it's great that these things are getting started now because it's only going to get better and cheaper over time. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, um, I mean, we're talking and about... And they're already self-replicating. You can just... It, it, a lot of people have posted the blueprints to these machines, and you, if you have one, you can print out another Another one. machine. Well, yeah, just, and just, assemble it. Just think about the ramifications of this. I mean... It's it, huge. It, it's, it is huge. Well, as, here's one example for you, as, as far as a ramification. Uh, so, if you're developing a product, let's say you're going to develop the Jason Talley bobblehead doll. 
Uh, if you're developing a product, you've got to put time and effort into designing it, and you have to send it off to like some sort of a factory elsewhere to manufacture a test version of it for you. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, they've got to make a test mold for it, and they've got to, you know, th- there's a big cost in creating that first product, right? Once you get the mold and you know the mold's good, then you can fill that mold a billion times and really lower the cost of the product. But that first test uh, design mm-hmm. is the one that costs a lot. And of course, you know, if you're if you're designing something important, maybe not the bobblehead's not the best example, but something very important, uh, you probably are going to go through several iterations of uh, different test designs. And so there's you know costs each time you have to set up molds for for those products. Well, now with the 3D printer. You can print your own test products in your own warehouse or, or laboratory or, or whatever, mm-hmm. and there's there's no cost to to set up any kind of uh, a press or whatever the the you know the machines would be uh, that you would need to do it because the printer can just take the specs and then create whatever it is you're looking for. Oh, I don't like that. I need to change that. No need to call up your Chinese manufacturer and wait you know two months or th- two weeks right. or however long it takes and then yeah. order that again. You in can bulk. do it right there in five minutes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And usually when you order something, it's cheaper to buy it in bulk. So if you just want right. to make a small amount, if you don't need mm-hmm. to make a large. Uh, amount of whatever you're doing, your bobblehead or what have you, yep. you can just print out a few, you know, or or a few dozen even. Yeah. So right, that alone, I mean, just that one factor, and I barely, you know, I'm not in a manufacturer, so I don't even have any clue as oh, to all the other yeah, ways. Yeah. Well, could you're saving on a lot of equipment, which is overhead. You're saving on training people to know how to use that equipment, which usually they have to be specialized in. They need years of experience. Right now, they can hit print. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so that's that cost is cut down as well. But it could change everything. I mean, it could change um, our relationship with corporations, with governments. Um, I'm looking forward to this. And like I said, it's just going to get cheaper and just going to be more widespread, especially yep. the, if these printers can build other printers. Yeah, and I love how open source it is. Uh, um, I really love open source software. I'm starting to learn about Linux. Um, I, I like this idea of open source hardware now. Have you have you seen that open source uh, farm equipment and like a factory equipment? Yes. Um, is that were we talking about him on the break? Is that the guy we were talking about? Um, no. Well, no. But uh, there's a movement of people that put their plans online and show you how to make your own tractors and, and yeah, the, or, the farm, or farm equipment. equipment, which can be very expensive. Mm-hmm. But for a few hundred dollars, uh, you can just make up your own tractor. And this is something I want to uh, I think could work well with the Fab Labs is. Teaching people how to build this stuff, like teaching them how to weld and teaching them how to how to cut metal, you know, and how to build an axle and how to get the geometry right on that. Maybe you've got something you want to add to this conversation or bring up anything you'd like. One eight five five four fifty free is the number. Plus, coming up on October nineteenth, get over to blackthisout.com. Go there now, bookmark it, and then go back on the nineteenth because that's going to be the day when you're going to be able to get behind the Ron Paul campaign uh, in a way that will create a ripple in politics so big, no media outlet will be able to ignore him. Go to blackthisout.com to learn more and get involved. That's blackthisout.com. More Free Talk Live coming up. If you want to move to the free state and you're looking for some real estate, well, I know a guy who's really great. It's the Porcupine Realtor. Do you want a home with 20 acres, a lakeside cabin, any takers for renters, buyers, and sellers too? Mark Warden is the guy for you. PorcupineRealtor.com 
This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything by dialing the toll-free number, which is brought to you by SACL CAI. It's 1-855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. Speaking of SACL, they have a full-orbed approach to account recovery. It's really three companies in one. They do collections, early out billing, and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL knows the way they treat your customer reflects on you. Their staff is respectful. They record every call and have the best equipment money can buy. So your business is handled as efficiently as possible. See their banner at freetalklive.com. That's SACL C-A-I. So we continue here. We'll, of course, take your calls about anything you want. Uh, in other news regarding the Occupy protests that are going on around the country right now, it looks like maybe somebody's been uh, listening to some really good advice because it seems as though the next plan is to occupy the courts. No kidding. I've not heard about this. Tell me more. Yeah, this uh, this is great news out of uh, New York City, and the story is from the New York Daily News, nydailynews.com. Where lawyers representing about 800 Occupy Wall Street protesters arrested in the past month have demanded that prosecutors drop the charges. If not, they say they won't deal and will insist on going to trial, putting pressure on the already overloaded Manhattan criminal courts. Every court in this country is overloaded because they're always arresting arresting people who have not actually done any harm to anyone else. Sure. Loaded up with drug dealers and users and other people that haven't stopped at stop signs and things like that. So now they're doing what we've talked about for a long time on Free Talk Live. And, uh, and here in, the, in New Hampshire, it's, it's kind of a, a theme that is commonly found amongst the activists is when somebody gets arrested for something, if they haven't harmed others, they don't take the plea deal and they go to court. And they take it to trial. Now, we haven't had the ability to do this in, in any significantly large numbers. The largest one was the Trespass of 12 uh, that happened a year ago here at the jail where 12 of us were arrested. They dropped three of the charges. Nine people ended up going to, uh, to trial on that one. There's now been the mass arrests in Manchester as well for chalking where I think eight people, uh, if I'm recalling correctly, were arrested. So those are really the largest chunks uh, arrests that we've had. And, and all those folks are taking those charges to trial, which means the court system has to take on another eight or nine trials, which means it's got to spend at least you know probably nine hours in, the, in court, maybe longer, depending on how many witnesses get called. Uh, going through whatever motions they need to go through in order to get to a verdict rather than just making it easy for them and taking a plea of guilty. And if I was a taxpayer, I would be outraged that uh, my money was being spent in this way on uh, that the trespass of 12 was about uh, people who were actually on uh, public property uh, in a parking lot. Mm -hmm. And the the chalking uh, case in Manchester was just uh, people simply – Putting chalk on sidewalks and, and on the walls of public property also. So, and yeah. I think it was in Adamo's case, uh, he was one of the first, I think he was the first to be arrested. It was because he was walking away from a cop as the cop was demanding his identification. So some of them weren't even arrested for chalking necessarily. Right. But, or, or someone like Kate who was just standing somewhere right. on the sidewalk and they said, you have to leave, that's a crime scene. And they arrested her. They just snapped her right up. Actually, I believe they asked right? her to leave. And they did not order her to leave. Oh, okay. Uh, and she, you know, was willing to leave, but they arrested her so quickly uh, that she didn't really have the chance to really even process what was happening to her. Sure. So, so yeah, I mean, it's just the outrages continue. But the, when you actually get numbers, uh, significant numbers, I mean, I'm talking 25, 50, 100 people, then it really becomes a burden on these uh, court people because these prosecutors aren't used to having to build a case. 
They're used yeah. to people taking plea deals. Yeah, making deals with the uh, the, the public defenders. They're used to uh, having you just uh, be so afraid of all the charges that you're facing that you'll crumble and you'll take the deal and you'll sign off on it and you'll never have to set foot in in the court. And who wants to? Nobody wants to go to court. Nobody wants to get up there in front of the man in a robe who at any time on a whim can have you locked up for contempt because, uh, you know, he didn't like the fact that you were wearing a hat or, or picking your nose or something like that. Uh, and so if you actually do send a large amount of people in here, it's really going to clog their system up, especially if there's some supposed right to a speedy trial, because scheduling 800 trials, I think, is going to be pretty difficult for their courts. I know it's New York City. They probably have a few courts in there, uh, but it's still going to be a real challenge for them to get all these people in for a so-called fair and uh, in speedy trial. And that's what the the lawyers know this. And so they're saying to the uh, the district attorney, hey, look, you should just dismiss these charges or else you're going to have a whole lot of work on your plate. Stoller, this is uh, the uh, defense lawyer in the case, Martin Stoller, and other members of the civil rights-focused National Lawyers Guild plan to meet with prosecutors from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office to lay out their position, at least some protesters who face charges, including two out-of-towners arrested last week, will demand their day in court. Zach Welch, age 20, of Rochester, spent 24 hours behind bars for so-called resisting arrest and wearing a mask depicting Guy Fox. He says, I didn't do anything wrong. I was expressing my rights. The district attorney's office had no comment on the meeting and said all cases are reviewed individually. In general, officials said that first-time offenders on minor crimes are routinely offered what is known as a adjournment in contemplation of dismissal. <laughs> that makes sense, right? Oh, Why don't yeah. you sit in the corner and just think about it? Meaning charges are tossed out after six months if the offender is not re-arrested. The vast majority, and I imagine that means, well, that's an interesting, so it's not really a, that really, that's not really a plea deal, is it? It's just a short leash for uh, people that have been through the system before. Right, so it's a suspended sentence, mm-hmm. kind of like a suspended sentence. Like, hey, yeah, you'd be good before, for the next six Before months. you're even convicted, though, I mean, so... Right, you haven't been convicted, so it would essentially mean that you couldn't get arrested again, which means you shouldn't be out at the protests uh, if you don't want to get rearrested. So that would be their way of trying to discourage people from going back out. They said 47 people were arrested and held overnight. Uh, the vast majority of these protesters were issued summonses for violations and desk appearance tickets for minor crimes. 47 people were arrested and held overnight. And so far, five of those cases have been dismissed because of a lack of evidence. If the DA pursues the remaining cases, protesters will be marching into the courtrooms in mass beginning November 15th when 60 demonstrators are set to appear before one judge. Occupy the courts. Yep. Sounds great. They are not going to be happy with that because you know these courtrooms are supposed to be open to the public. But if you've got a thousand people trying to get, get into a courtroom that holds a hundred, and I, I don't know how big New, New York courts are. I know around here, they're not very large at all. The largest courtroom I've been in has held maybe about 50 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, in either the viewing area, yeah, and even all the way down to like twenty people. I think the, is that how much the superior court can hold? That's around here, yeah. But the, yeah. the bigger court in the, the big court was in uh, Massachusetts that I went to. And there were like fifty-five right. people in there. Yeah. Grafton was pretty large size, also. Yeah, there's probably about forty, forty-five. Yeah, yeah. So, so it really just varies where you go from place to place. But they, I, f- I always get the impression that they really don't want the public there. They just kind of hell ha- no, they don't. They have to yeah. p- pretend like they do. And so. they, they certainly don't want. Cameras in there so that you can get the word out to people that can't be in attendance. But I think it's great for people to be court watchers and, and witness what the state is doing in your name. Oh, it's so important. If you've never been to a court before, 
take time out, go on a Monday morning if you can. If you can, I, I yeah. know a lot of people work. They don't schedule these court trials uh, conveniently for anyone. Uh, so take time out, go in, sit in on an arraignment, and uh, just sit there for a couple hours and watch and listen uh, to what happens to these people yes. and. Sort of see what what the going ons are. Their their process of doing stuff. It's like almost like a ceremony, like a religious ceremony for them. Oh, very oh, much. And, and if you dare to criticize or in any way change their ceremony, they they get offended by it. You know, it's blasphemy. Cannot offend the priest, or it, else that's he will. Right. It reminds me of a cult. Uh, you have this uh, person in a uh, a robe. Uh, a black robe that sits higher than everybody else, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, I know when we were there for uh, your trial, Ian, yes. there was uh, they insisted that people stand up. So no blaspheme, uh, you know. If and like a deputy, uh, you know, put his hands on me so that I would stand up. It was outrageous. Wow. Hey, don't forget the special lighting that the, uh, the 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 robed one gets. They've got lights in the courtroom, but if you ever notice, they always have special down lights right on. The, the man in the road. I didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep, he gets his own lighting. one 450 free That's 855-450-3733. So big plans afoot for November 15th, the first day where 60 people from the Wall Street protests are scheduled to appear before one judge. That should be very interesting. More coming up here. You can take control. 855-450-FREE. This is Free Talk Live. The Ruger LC9, compact, powerful, and perfect for personal protection. The LC9 is only slightly larger than the popular Ruger LCP, features a checkered grip frame to provide a secure and comfortable grip, and includes a finger grip extension floor plate. The LC9 also has a dovetailed high-visibility three-dot sight system, blued alloy steel barrel, manual safety, and loaded chamber indicator. The LC9, another innovative American-made product from Ruger. Learn more about the Ruger LC9 at ruger.com slash LC9. This is Free Talk Live. Bring up whatever you want. Dial in toll-free and 1-855-450-FREE. That number brought to you by SACL CAI. It's 855-450-3733. Joining you tonight, it's Ian. Jason. And Luther. And uh, we'll, we'll take your calls about anything. That's why we call the show Free Talk Live. I've been talking about the Occupy uh, events and the fact that in New York City, it looks like 60 people are going to be set to appear before one judge in a Manhattan courtroom coming up on November 15th. Lawyers uh, for the protesters are saying, hey, uh, district attorney, if you don't drop these charges, we're taking every single one of them to trial. And considering that you've arrested 800 people thus far, that's going to be a big load for your court system. Now, court, uh, Manhattan criminal courts deal with about 90,000 cases per year, and prosecutors say they'll have little trouble absorbing the extra workload. Court officials had a different take, however. A court, court spokesbureaucrat said, is it a strain on the system? Yes. But the reality is the judges will deal with it. There's precedent for dismissing civil disobedience cases, however. In 1999, prosecutors dropped charges against 1,166 people, including celebrities and politicians busted over a 15-day period in the wake of the fatal police shooting of immigrant street vendor Amadou Diallo, uh, which I believe was uh, drug-related, uh, if I'm recalling correctly. I could mm-hmm. be wrong. I could be wrong. I don't recall that particularly interesting. About the same time, I remember hearing about a fellow who was just reaching for his keys and some NYPD uh, 
pulled out their guns and shot him down. That, I mean, that might have been him. Yeah. Uh, Raymond Costello, the former assistant DA who handled those dismissals, said the circumstances around the current arrests are very different. He said the Diallo protesters were arrested peaceably. Their plan was to get their plan was to get arrested, and they did it in a way that was least inconvenient for all parties. Resisting arrest makes a difference, he said. And, of course, uh, they call resisting arrest anything. I mean, if you don't do exactly what the police officer tells you to do, mm-hmm. they'll call it resisting arrest. Derek, who hosts this show on Tuesday night, was charged with resisting arrest for not getting into a police car fast enough. Right. So they maced him. And, yeah. right, they pepper sprayed him in the face. Not that those big, burly gentlemen couldn't pick up little Derek and put him in the back seat themselves. Yeah, I think Derek weighs about as much as I do. Uh, he's not a very big guy at all. No. Well, I was charged with resisting arrest um, as well as disorderly conduct uh, just because I had a camera the size of my thumb clipped to my belt. So they, they love tacking those extra charges on. Right, and usually there are catch-alls like that, like resisting or disorderly conduct, mm-hmm. or even a contempt of court. You know, is another one. Which which you got uh, one of those too, right? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Those yeah. three. Yeah, which is a little different because the judge will usually issue that, and not the the cop. So right, the the judge is the only one that can uh, can issue a contempt of court, from what I understand. Okay. Um, and so uh, we will see. I mean, that's pretty much the story there. Do you believe them when they say they're not going to drop the, the the charges? I think they're bluffing. I think that uh, this is the com- common tactic. The prosecutor wants you to believe that this case is going to go forward. They want you to believe right. in that. In his favor. Right. And they want you to believe that all the way up to the point at which the case is supposed to go forward. So we've seen people uh, get their charges dropped the the morning of the trial because mm-hmm. they want you they want to sweat you out basically they want you to you know live life with this kind of overhanging fear that you're going to have to go to court and you might have to go to jail and uh, that uh, you'd be more likely in that case to take the plea bargain which does tend to change as you get closer to trial now none of these things i'm saying are guarantees you never know exactly what's going to happen but we've seen it often enough where they're they're good they hold out and they hold out and they hold out and then sh- shortly before trial you get a final plea bargain which is better than the plea bargain they offered you at the first uh the first window of opportunity then they offer you a better one if you still remain strong and you continue to demand the trial then literally we've seen it where somebody has driven an hour and a half to come here to Keene to face uh, a charge and was handed a dismissal paper uh, when he was going into court for the purpose of sitting in on the trial. You know, it's interesting. I was leaving one of your hearings prior to you being arrested, Ian, and I ran into some kids. They were sitting out in their car and they, they, they called me over. They said, hey, can we ask you a question? I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, they said, what does uh, this mean? I think it was Nolo Contendo or... Contend- Nolo Contendre. Contendre, yeah. yeah. And I said, or oh. Condere. I looked at it and I said, oh, this is a plea deal. Just keep saying no until you go to court and it'll keep going down. Hmm. You know, and uh, and they, I explained a couple other things to them on how the process works. You know, they didn't seem to have any clue. They, hmm. It's clear that the state was just trying to railroad them. So hopefully I could make a difference to those kids, wherever never they know. are now. So, yeah. But they just saw you walking down the street. You're just some stranger to <laughs> these guys. Jeans and jeans and a t-shirt. Like, I don't dress up to go to court. But I wait, always look like crap. You, did they see you in court before? Or? Possibly. I don't know. Maybe they saw me come out of there. Like, yeah. the, the if the court uh, entrance is on one side of the building, they were parked on, like, the far corner around, like, on the other side so i don't think they saw me come out of the court who knows maybe they just recognized me as a free stater 
Well, that's one of the reasons why we're doing uh, some of the activists up here are doing don't take a plea deal outreach. And it's something I need to get back into because I was in jail for a couple of months. And normally the way it works is one person goes to court every single day of the week. uh, If we if we've got it all covered, usually cover. I think they don't even do trials on Friday. So I don't know if anyone's doing Fridays, but generally the idea is to cover every day of the week ultimately and hand out information to these folks because they have no idea what they're getting into. I mean, most people's, uh, a lot of people that go to court have never been there before. Uh, and it's just this overwhelming and confusing experience. And it's, it remains confusing for a long time. You, you really have to go to a number of trials before you really kind of start to get an idea for exactly what's going on in there. Because it's like, like you said, it's a religious uh, observance. It's a religious ritual. And it would be like coming to some new church and trying to figure out, exa- well, what are they doing there? What- Wait, where's my communion wafer? Yeah, exactly. So um, so it's very confusing. I remember I was at uh, court the other day and some young lady came in uh, and she just she stops at the, the guy that's frisking people at the door. and She says, where do I go? Like she didn't even know. Like she had, wow. she she'd never even been in the building before. Right behind the halls of secrecy yeah. that is the judicial system. So anything you can do to get information in these people's hands is going to be of value. Whether it's answering a question sure. uh, when they pull you aside, or having a, a pre-made brochure ready to go and get into their hands. In fact, we actually have the uh, the don't take a plea deal brochure over at tools.freekeen.com. You can go there. There's uh, one for New Hampshire and there's one for national. So you don't have to be in New Hampshire. You don't have to be a part of the Free State Project to do this. This is a project that anybody can do. Although I'd highly recommend that if you're going to do it anywhere besides New Hampshire, that you have a few people go and do it with you. Here, it's not a big deal. At least here in Keene. I don't know about the rest of New Hampshire, but going to the courthouse and handing these out, we've never yeah. been harassed once for it. Yeah, try doing it in Orlando. Oh, my God. See in Orlando. Happened. Yeah. I was just catching up on what happened to Julian Heiklin uh, today when he was arrested over – while I was in jail, he was arrested for uh, handing out fully informed jury information at the courthouse in Orlando, sentenced to over 140 days in jail uh, wow. because of that. And as he described it, they you know the jail conditions weren't so terrible except for the fact that he was freezing – and uh, was shivering pretty wow. much his entire time in there. The first person to freeze in Florida. Right. Yeah, they keep those jails cold, man. Sure, sure, mm-hmm. sure. They keep, well, it keeps the bacteria down, which I can That's understand. Um, but at the same but they time... they don't give it, you the warmth that you need. Right. It also acts as a, a sort of torture for people, you know, because they've been bad, so they need to be punished. And this is sort of the mentality that all cops, or most cops, I'll say, and, uh, and guards will have, is that, you know, well, you're in here for a reason. You must be bad. You need to be punished. Uh, this sort of mentality, which I think really needs to be broken down and just abandoned. It's a, bad, it's a terrible institutionalized, institutionalized way of thinking. Especially when you consider how many peaceful people are in those cages, people there for um, so-called crimes that have no victim. Um, it's a shame what they do to, to these people. I know when I was in there, I was in um, uh, isolation for like nine hours initially, and they took my shoes. Um, I didn't have socks on. Uh, I just had like a T-shirt on, and and they give you like a, a piece of concrete to lay on, and yep. uh, it was freezing. Um, so of yeah. course you have to process. Yeah. Well, I I guess you would have to dehumanize someone in order to do all these things to them. You know, you would you would have to set up these uh, walls in your mind, basically, to say, like, this this guy is less than a human, he's a criminal, you know, mm-hmm. so this yeah. is okay now. Well, that's why I kept, uh, talked to every single guard that I came in contact with, and, and the other police officers, and I and the nurse, and everybody, I explained why I was there, because I wanted to know that it was ridiculous, I, I explained that I'm a peaceful person, 
um, and uh, just so that maybe they could get through those blocks. Sure, sure. Well, and and at the jail that you were being held, the same one I was being held at, um, many of them are at least people you can connect, you can make those connections with, and, and a lot of them can understand what what you're saying, and they can they can even empathize. But I agree with you, the the booking procedures are just horrific the way they treat people in there. Uh, the 280, who is uh, somebody that you do a show with, uh, Luther Puke and the Gang. Yes. Uh, uh, what's the website for that, by the way? Uh, Pukeandthegang.com, and uh, we record every Sunday and post it once a week. Yeah, so uh, so 280 was in there for a night, and he didn't process, and he stayed in that uh, holding cell for 24 hours. No food, no uh, no water. No socks, bare feet. No socks mm-hmm. and cold, yep. and no bedding in that concrete slab. Yep. And it's just he, uh, it's horrible. He entertained himself by playing with his clothes, he said. <laughs> Derek was dancing when he was in solitary. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea because it's a good way to keep warm. Yeah, yeah, or exercise. 1-855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. Bring up what you want. Take control of the airways. It's Free Talk Live. When the power goes out for any length of time, you've got problems, starting with food that's going bad, even in the freezer. No communications, living by candlelight or flashlight, it's a bad place to be. The solar flare cycle is heating up and has already done damage to the grid. NASA and NOAA tell us that next year and in 2013, it will take down large sections of the grid for days or weeks at a time. Hurricanes and floods also cut power for several days or weeks. You can protect yourself now. The SG-1 Solar Generator by Sound Wisdom produces 5,000 watts of household current, comes with 230 amp hours of battery, 220 watt solar panels, and a built-in battery maintainer desulfator. This is the only portable system you can add as many batteries or solar panels as you like. It will also convert power from windmills, water wheels, DC welders, or gas generators, any source of 12-volt DC power. See it now at freetalklivesolar.com. Technicians are standing by now to answer your questions even during the Sunday night show. FreeTalkLiveSolar.com. This is Free Talk Live, and you can take control of the airwaves. Dial in toll free and bring up anything you want. 1 855 450 free. That is 855-450-3733. And joining you this evening, it's Ian. Jason. And Luther. All right. So we will, of course, take your calls about absolutely anything. And apologies to anybody that's trying to get on our website right now. It's not working. But when it does, there's really some really great features there. <laughs> uh, but hey, what do you want for free, right? We don't charge you for the website. So, you know, if it's down for a little bit, you don't get a refund. You get what you pay for. Yeah. But you know what? When it is there, you can uh, you can actually create the content. You can submit news stories or blog posts or videos, whatever you see online that you think's neat, you think our listeners might like. You can submit it to the website and then others can vote uh, as to whether or not they like or dislike your suggestion uh, over at freetalklive.com. And you get to vote on things there as well so do head on over get interactive freetalklive.com and be patient we will get it back up one of these uh, one of these minutes or hours or <laughs> however long this will take so we'll take your calls about absolutely anything uh, you can take control of these airwaves that's the point of the program uh, we've been talking about the uh, occupy events but that's not all that there is in the news in fact luther I know that you wanted to talk about uh, cars, right? Some sort of uh, news about driving. Sure, sure. This uh, happened in England, and I couldn't find the exact uh, article about the town I'm thinking of. Uh, it was in right outside of Bristol in Portishead, England. But London is considering this as well, of just turning off their traffic lights to uh, pre- prevent uh, congestion, traffic congestion. 
turning off traffic lights is going to prevent traffic congestion? I know. It sounds weird. And I watched a video about the one in Portishead and the uh, – or Portishead. I don't know if they pronounce it that way. Anyway, so – and they interviewed the same woman like the day before – that they turned off the lights and then the, the day the after. And she was so surprised by the results that instantly, like, all the traffic cues just, you know, were gone. And people were just making decisions for themselves and, and, and uh, uh, you know, stopping for pedestrians, whereas before they wouldn't because they would just kind of go on automation based on what the lights were telling them to do. So I have to admit that, you know, when you first hear about this, having been raised in this culture where traffic lights are the way, the norm, that's what we know, it's hard to envision what it would be like. But I remember I saw a video, and you said it was Vietnam, I'm not sure where, some sort of Asian Uh, country. It might have been Vietnam. I've seen a place like this in Vietnam, but go on. Where they show you, it's like a sped up kind of time-lapse video, uh, where you see an intersection in a relatively busy intersection mm-hmm. uh, that uh, there's no traffic light whatsoever. And it's very interesting to just watch how the cars kind of jockey and they move and they, they just have this, like like birds flying in a flock, there's this natural order that kind of comes out of the, the sure, chaos. Sure. Or Stossel's example of people in an ice rink. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly right. Yeah. Obviously, in an ice rink, things aren't quite as risky uh, as as driving a you know two ton uh, hurtling death trap. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's still it's even even though you can see in that video how exactly it works, it's still hard to imagine myself in that situation. You know, being on like uh, where you got a road where there's maybe one road that's fairly heavy with traffic and another road that uh, is medium with traffic. You know, it almost feels like. If it's heavy, how the hell are those guys on that other road going to get out there? And in in the video that I saw, it looked like that like as soon as there was an opening, someone would just go for it, and then everybody else would just slow down and stop and wait for them. And sure. then as soon as those people would go through, the other people would keep going. I mean, it was just it was completely organic and mind blowing at yeah. the same time. Sure, sure. I, I've driven in Mexico City and Bangkok, and uh, you're not going to see lights and stop signs there. And you think it's chaotic, but uh, you just uh, you know, follow and uh, you know do what you're comfortable with, and it it all seems to work out. It can be hair raising sometimes, but you know a lot of people think that you need the state, uh, you know, to provide order and to uh, prevent chaos. But uh, it's great to see that uh, it's actually working. I, I keep hearing more and more reports of sure, sure. And if I, you remove these, I, I do have an article right here from Cars.com about London is considering doing this, and London is infamous for being one of the worst cities to drive in. Uh, this show I like from England called Top Gear, it's mm-hmm. one of the highest rated shows in the world. Um, they did an experiment where they had a boat, a car, somebody on a bicycle, and somebody taking public transportation race from point A to point B. And public transportation actually went out, then the, bu- or no, the bicycle, then public transportation, then the boat, then the car. Wow. So, and they're considering taking out these lights. So, um... So all of the lights in the city of London. Well, let's find out. All right. Uh, The city of London is about to embark on an experiment. It will try to ease congestion issues by uh, turning off traffic lights and letting drivers fend for themselves. The Westminster City Council, in conjunction with the organization Transport for London, will shut off the traffic lights at Westminster Intersection for a two-week period. Oops, sorry. Uh, It will use closed-circuit cameras and license plate recognition technology to monitor the the response of traffic. So apparently it's just going to be this one busy intersection for Mm -hmm. now. Um, Who knows? Maybe they'll expand it from here. Sure, it sounds nuts, but towns in Holland, Denmark, and Belgium all have had what they call naked streets for years now. The idea is that when you remove the crutch of traffic signals, drivers tend to be more alert, 
courteous, and safe in their maneuvers. And I would totally agree with this mm. um, because your survival now is not dependent on some machine telling you stop, go, slow down. Right. Or yellow kind of means speed up in our culture. But uh, now you have to make these decisions for yourself. And your survival depends upon it. So you are going to be more motivated, I feel, to want to survive, you know, and to rely on yourself in this type That's of situation. That's human nature. I mean, sure, people sure. want to keep going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, we're all born with this uh, this gene that is the self-preservation gene, I call it. And that's why I, I think that when, like, Fred Parcells was here telling you, well, if the people don't... code enforcer. Yeah, the code enforcer. If people don't upkeep their porches, you could go onto a rickety porch and die, which is ridiculous. If you came to a rickety bridge over high cliffs with alligators down at the bottom, you know, <laughs> would you get on it or would you just kind of walk to the next safer bridge? Depends on if I'm being chased by uh, the <laughs> native indig- uh, population. Sure, and how angry sure. They were. But yeah, sure. Well, this is a good uh, step because I mean, we've all sat behind uh, red lights for you know for for minutes, and there's nobody else there. But oh, if yeah. you run it, then um, law enforcement can uh, uh, try to extort money from you. So I've, I've I've made a habit since moving to New Hampshire of running through those red lights. <laughs> no, I oh will, yeah, when you're it's late at night and no yeah, one's around, I will I will ascertain. I'll slow down and I'll ascertain or and or stop briefly. Yeah, make sure it's safe. Make first. sure it's safe, and then I'll go through. Yeah, I'd have no yeah. problem if people did that. I mean, as long as there's nobody around and, and you're being safe. But well, a lot of times people could, uh, you know, blow through the like. I was in Florida one time, and this cop was uh, had his lights on, and so I stopped um, at this uh, at this light, um, and uh, and so he pulled me over because I was like stopping him, and I'm like. Don't you have an emergency that you need to get to? Why are you stopping to harass me? And he's like, oh, it can wait. But still, he's like speeding anyway, and he has his <laughs> lights on uh, just so he could uh, harass me. Wow. Uh, well, it points out here the town of Drockton, Holland, uh, mm-hmm. which is the town I heard about years ago that yep. did this, uh, saw accidents at one intersection fall from 36 over a four-year period to just two in a two years since the lights Incredible. were removed. Incredible. Wow, yeah. And this reminds me also of Montana, which used to have no speed limits on their highways. <laughs> and when they they repealed that and put in speed limits and they saw the number of fatalities by car accident, uh, speed-related not change at all. They didn't go up. They didn't go down, uh, which I think is really interesting. It p- kind of brings up right. the, the idea of speed limits kind of being but, obsolete. But what did go up is the revenue. Oh, yeah. sure, sure. That's exactly what they're about. That's all the speed limit is good for is is just revenue. Oh, it's a great way to get revenue because people dr- won't always constantly pay attention to their speed, especially if they have to travel long distances. I used to do this when I drove for a living. And what you'll do is you'll drive how you feel comfortable driving. Yeah, I, I love all this news about the traffic devices. It's not just stoplights in some cases. I remember when we first started talking about this, it was that Holland town, I think, mm-hmm. uh, that had experimented with like taking out barriers around a cliff uh, or something like that. <laughs> like, you know, just all kinds of things, uh, just because people would be less likely to uh, to lose control of their car if they were being very, very cautious about going around that cliff's edge. Sure. You know, if, if there's a barrier up there, you'll feel like, well, I could just take this at 50 miles an hour rather right, than right. 30 or whatever would be the appropriate speed uh, for that because you you would count on the barrier to make up for any mistakes. I mean, you, you aren't expecting to make a mistake, but somewhere in the subconscious, you're counting on those safety yeah, devices it, it to keep happen. you safe. Sure. And they won't. If you're going fast enough, they won't do a damn thing. It'll break right away and (laughs) you'll be over the edge.
free. So I'm looking forward to hearing the news about this uh, London situation uh, as, as far as how that goes. Because if it's anything like the other ones, it'll be a stunning success. 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Bring up anything. It's Free Talk Live. You know the U.S. dollar is devaluing. You can see it happening every day. You know a new currency will take over at some point. Wouldn't you like to be in on the ground floor? Bitcoins. They're a decentralized, anonymous internet currency. They're free to use, free to accept, and free from inflation forever. You can use them anywhere in the world. Find out more at weusecoins.org. Don't be kicking yourself in the pants in a month. Your dollars are going down. Learn more about Bitcoins at weusecoins.org. That's weusecoins.org. This is Free Talk Live. The toll-free number for you is 855-450-FREE. That's 1-855-450-3733. You can join us on our website when it's working at freetalklive.com. And apparently for some work, um, people it's working, and for some people it's not. We've got three different, uh, four different internet connections right now between the mobile devices uh, we have here in the studio and the other internet connections that we have. And on some connections it's working and on some it's not. So do bear with us if you're trying to get in there. When you do get in, you'll be able to access years' worth of archives going all the way back to 2006, all free for the taking over at freetalklive.com. As we continue, we'll take your calls about absolutely anything. Plus, you need to know about the Liberty Forum. It's coming back 2012. It's going to be February 23rd through the 26th. It's a Thursday through a Sunday. And if you've ever been before to the Liberty Forum, I don't have to sell you on it. It's something you'd want to come back to because it's such a great time to be together with other like-minded, liberty-oriented people in the same place. In this case, it's a hotel, kind of like a a convention-style atmosphere it's not as stuffy as your average convention, though. I mean, this is a kind of convention where there's people playing, you know, like there's a drum circle in the, right. in the lobby one evening. And, and I think uh, my jazz band is going to try to play this really? year in the lobby. So we'll see. Yeah. So there's uh, it's it's not your typical convention. It's a, a convention full of liberty minded people. And that means that there's a lot of fun uh, that you'll you'll have if you attend this event. Uh, and families, I think, come out to this as well. Certainly couples do uh, and single folks. There's all kinds of different people to meet, people who already made the move to, to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project, which, of course, is a movement of liberty-oriented people like us. Yep. It's the reason why we're here, coming to New Hampshire, getting active to achieve liberty in our lifetime. And the Liberty Forum is, is basically a showcase of some of the activism that happens in New Hampshire. You get to meet some of the people that are already here, meet some of the people that are coming here, and also meet some kind of some celebrities within the liberty <laughs> movement, uh, for lack of a better term. Some of the more, I guess, known yeah, I, people. I, I don't really like that term a lot either. I don't, I don't either. Yeah, But people with name recognition, uh, you know, like a Stefan Molyneux has spoken in the past, and mm-hmm. he's fairly fairly popular with his Freedom Main Radio podcast. Uh, so you can go to freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum, and you can get signed up now. The early registration is open now, and the reason why you get a discount for early register uh, for early registering is because all the speakers haven't been announced yet. It, you know, all the details haven't been finalized, so you're essentially jumping in as early as possible to support the event, and so therefore you get a discount. So you get the early bird discount now, plus you'll get 10% off additionally uh, if you use the code FTL2012. That's all one run together as one word, FTL, like Free Talk Live, FTL2012 for 10% off 
the 2012 Liberty Forum at freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. And the Liberty Forum um, 2012 will be my uh, two-year anniversary here in the Shire. Wow, that's uh, great. Because we traveled from uh, California. There was uh, about uh, eight of us that traveled all the way from California to New Hampshire uh, just in time for Liberty Forum as uh, part of the Liberty Caravan. So it's been a good two years then, huh? I've enjoyed it very much. I, yeah. I, I love living here. How long has it been for you now, Luther? Well, that's kind of hard to gauge because I've moved out of state twice, um, but I've been in New England for three years, over three years now. Up from Florida? Yep. Actually, we're all up from Florida. Yeah, we're right? all yeah. from Florida. All right, let's continue here. Uh, Eddie Free is uh, from D.C., and he's planning a move to uh, New Hampshire, as I understand it. Uh, Eddie Free, what's on your mind tonight? You bet I am, and... I want to say uh, congratulations. I'm, I'm glad that you're uh, a little freer now, Ian. I'm glad you're out. Yeah, it's good to be out of jail. Go ahead with your thoughts. Well, I, you know, I wanted to encourage the listeners to to get involved in the Occupy, uh, the Occupy movement. I, I know the majority of the people are are, are, are socialists. I've been working with um, Adam Kokesh uh, here in the D.C. area. I'm sure you guys have seen some of the videos. And, you know, they can be fairly unpleasant and, and, and aggressive at times, but if, if you just keep your call and you expose the violence that is the state and, and, and taxation and, 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 and just show them how what they're, the majority of them are supporting is violence against their neighbor. And I just want to tell folks to be patient with them and that it's important for us to be out there doing outreach. I think that's a great point, Eddie. And I also um, think that it's important to stress the voluntary alternatives uh, like we're seeing in uh, New York City and uh, Washington, D.C. I've seen the videos that uh, you and uh, Adam Kokesh have been making, and, you know, they're building communities. They're setting up uh, tents and, uh, you know, they're feeding people. Um, they're all working together to uh, provide basic services. And so let's grow that. It, it seems like uh, agorism to me, the, the open marketplace. Um, is that sure. your experience? Well, that's it. It's really interesting. I mean, they're all, they're almost working in in, in a voluntarist uh, manner. You, you know, they're actually not voting. They're they're doing, uh, I guess, a consensus um, in which you know for everyone to agree upon. But yeah, they're almost working in an, a voluntarist uh, manner. So it's actually it's really interesting. I've had a lot of fun down there. Um, meeting these people and just uh, opening up dialogue with them and just and actually and giving them a fresh perspective. I think that's exactly the purpose of uh, liberty-minded people being there. I mean, if we were to say to ourselves, well, we're not going to associate with these people because they don't agree with us on absolutely everything, <laughs> we'd be cutting our own throat. I, I, yeah, well, you see a lot of, I guess I, I've heard a lot of the, more of the Republican types, you know, they're attacking them and calling them scumbags and, and all of this. And, you know, that's not the way to approach it. You know, uh, just go there, folks, be friendly, smile, be calm, and, and, just, uh, and just, you know, just point out, I say, just point out the violence that's in, inherent in the system. Because the people, you know, people are good. The majority of people are, have good mm-hmm. hearts, good souls. And, and and they don't want to commit violence against their neighbors. So that's what I'm saying. You know, let's just kind of po- try to point out the violence uh, that that is taxation and this the state. And that's about it um, that I that I had for you guys, Luther. I hope that you let me sing with you guys at the uh, Liberty Forum. Oh, of course, man. I'd uh, love to have you come up here. But uh, well, if you like to sing, uh, yeah, we you got to move, and then we can start a band. 
Let's do it. I'm down for that. Heavy metal all the way. What's what's your what's your ETA up here in uh, New Hampshire, Eddie Free? It's going to be after the winter time, so I'm think uh, I'm thinking I'll pro- be ready by April. I've heard a few horror stories about going up there. I'm prepared, so you know I, I don't want to go up there and sponge off of anyone. So I'm going to be financially stable enough to be up there, and that will be March, April. Smart. Move. I, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, uh, and I made a similar mistake, sort of. Uh, I didn't have too much of a plan. I ended up. You know, just knowing enough people up here that I got a job out of state. But, you know, move here once. Don't move here thrice like I did. (laughs) All right, Eddie. Thanks for the call. Appreciate the update. And uh, feel free to clue us in as uh, as more develops there in D.C. with the Occupy movement. And wherever you are as well at 1-855-450-FREE. That's the toll-free number. Uh, And, you know, an important, I think, communications tactic when you're talking to anybody who might disagree, you know, might disagree on some level, uh, whether it be you know, whether they be socialist or fascist or whatever their position, uh, is to agree with them on something. Find something with which you can agree, and sure. don't don't Work focus from there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like so, if they're saying, well, you know, I want uh, the the corporations to not have uh, so much power. Then you could say, well, I agree with you, or I, you know, you say I hate corporations. I agree with you. I don't like them either because. You know, they're a construct of the government, or the government helps uh, them, you know, entrench themselves, and it's the, they're working together with, uh, sure. the, you know, these people in this monopoly of power to keep their power yeah. over others. The us versus them mentality keeps keeps people, you know, kind of subdued in, by the government. So break down those walls, stop that mentality. Right, and you start that by coming together on something first by agreeing. One eight five five four fifty free. Then you're not an ad- adversary; you're just somebody who sees a different solution. For a similar problem. It's Free Talk Live. As a smoker, you know traditional cigarettes are unhealthy, and the taxes be the very beast stealing your freedom to smoke. That's why the Vapor Station offers an assortment of electronic cigarette kits. Each rechargeable, refillable kit is an effective, affordable alternative to smoking. No combustion, no tar, no foul, lingering odors, and no smoke, secondhand or otherwise. Just inhale pure enjoyment and exhale vapor. Take a puff just about anywhere without getting hassled. Get your e-cigarette kit now at VaporStation.com. Talk live, bring up anything toll free. 1 855 450 free. That's 855 450 3733. And we invite you to the website, which is uh, not really working too well right now, but uh, hopefully it'll be fixed by the end of the show. You can go to freetalklive.com and you can see the Shrine of Female listeners, the dozens of ladies who've taken the time to send in their validated photo or video showing their listeners of this program. Go to shrine.freetalklive.com to see that. And if you're a lady listener, you can get details on how to become part of the Shrine. Once again, that's shrine.freetalklive.com. Now, have you ever been the victim of an injustice and then decided to do nothing about it because attorneys are too expensive? I can understand. Jurisdictionary.com is the course for people who don't have attorneys, like me. It arms you with the information on how to use the court's rules. And if you don't know those rules, you might as well just be fighting in the dark. It works for plaintiffs or defendants in civil or criminal matters in state or federal courts. It costs less than an hour with any good attorney. And the 4CD course is so easy, the average 8th grader can learn it in a weekend. Head on over to Jurisdictionary.com, download free tools like the free legal flowchart, weekly tips and tactics newsletters, the legal dictionary, and free videos. Then you can buy the course, Jurisdictionary.com. Use their pull-down menu, choose Free Talk Live, so they know you heard about it here. Once again, Jurisdictionary.com. 
dot com as we I, go. Hmm? I think that would be a good tool for the occupy the occupiers going to court in Manhattan. Oh, absolutely. Or Mark Stevens' book or any of his podcasts uh, would also be good. Either of those tools would be great for people because most of them have no idea what they're uh, what they're getting into. When sure, it comes to sure. Court. So jurisdictions. Yeah, there's a lot of legalese to get through. A lot of procedures that the court uses that you might not be familiar with. So somebody actually sent me like the short version of jurisdictionary. I guess they have like a condensed version that uh, mm. somebody sent me in jail which was really cool it was mm. uh, it was very useful so uh we'll continue here uh jason i know you wanted to cover something about a 53 percent movement i want to find out more about that here but we've got some folks that want to talk to us and we'll talk to them about whatever they want so chris is on the the line listening in oklahoma city chris you're on free talk live yeah thanks for taking my call guys yes, uh, glad to have you here on the airwaves and uh it was interesting listening to your conversation about the uh, lack of traffic lights. I was on a uh, temporary assignment in Australia last year. In fact, uh, this time last year I was in there just kind of getting my feet wet, getting my uh, bearings. But, um, of course, they drive on the opposite side of the road. They have a lot of roundabouts, and even on the major thoroughfares. And just to humor myself once, I, I tracked the odometer seven miles going down uh, basically with, within the city without stoplights. It was amazing how smooth the traffic ran, very little uh, but one thing, and a lot of listeners, you have to understand um, that you're driving on the opposite road, on the opposite side of the car, and if you happen to have a standard transmission, which I did, you're shifting with your left hand, so it literally mm-hmm. takes you about two weeks to get used to that. Wow. Once sure. you get that, yeah, it, I mean, it really is, it, it messes with your head for a while, but um, I was very, very uh, pleased to see uh, the lack of traffic accidents. Um, they do have a lot of traffic lights uh, there. I mean, uh, traffic cameras, and they're very strict uh, insurance and all of that. But having that, uh, setting that aside, um, they really got it down to, to a science. And So were uh, there, they, res- they there intersections, were they all roundabouts? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. Uh, through some of the major uh, suburbs uh, northwest. I, I lived in Sydney uh, for two and a half months. And um, due to the, the heavy rains over there in, in uh, north uh, New South Wales in, in uh, Queensland, I had to come back. Our contract got canceled. I couldn't do any filming. So, But it was really a learning experience, and, and the people over there are really, um, it's, it, it's great. Um, it, it's fun, and, and it, it, just to add a little humor to the thing, when, when you go into a grocery store, you come back out, and you're used to getting to the left side of the car to get in. Well, you sit down, and there's no steering wheel there. It's a little embarrassing. <laughs> but after you get, you get past that, yeah, um, you just kind of like, I'm cool. I'll get out and go back on the yeah. other side and get yeah, in and sure. drive away. Tourist. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Chris, for the yeah. call. Appreciate it, man. <laughs> 855-450-FREE. I was actually driving around with someone from Australia this last pork fest, mm-hmm. uh, a little well, after pork fest, and he was having a little trouble uh, you know, staying in the lane. You know, he kept wanting to drift either way. <laughs> So yeah, I guess he was going through the same thing that this guy's talking I about. Bet. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, think about how hard it is to write with your left hand if you're right-handed, and then go from shifting. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, sure. When I was in the Air Force, I was stationed in England for two years and Japan for two years, and uh, they drive on the left-hand side of the road in that country. So after four years of that, I came uh, back to America. And uh, I did okay by staying on the right-hand side of the road, except when I would turn, uh, I would automatically go in the left-hand lane and oh, freak out my grandfather. <laughs> you know, yeah. the roundabouts, I think, are generally a pretty good device. Uh, a lot of people, to, and to you know, the city I of I think Keen- a lot of people are intimidated by that. Right, right. It's, but, so to Keene's credit, there are actually three, at least, well, technically t- two and a half, kind of. Right, Central Square doesn't really count as a Yeah, because there's a stoplight there. 
But uh, there are a couple of roundabouts in Keene, and I think that it has improved the, the traffic flow at those locations. But as you said, Luther, people are intimidated by them mm-hmm. because they're used to traffic lights. And right. there is a learning curve for these things. And so sometimes you'll see people going the wrong way in the roundabout and like all kinds of right. crazy stuff. Right. I kind of I tapped some woman. I thought she was going to go, actually. And oh, it was no. it was sort of my fault. Uh but, you know, there was a gap, a wide enough gap where I would have gone. And she started moving but stopped, which I don't understand. Like, if you, And she still had plenty of time to go at that point. Mm, just got cold feet. Or, yeah, I guess so. You know, you, you need to be, you know, confident in doing this. Yeah, you got to go. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and also, the ones they're making here aren't good enough. They're not wide enough for things like tractor trailers. And it makes, makes it professional drivers have a very difficult time getting through these. So sure, sure. And like sometimes these... they put them in weird spots. Like there's one in Peterborough, a couple towns over from Keene. As you're coming down a hill, suddenly at the bottom of the hill, there's a roundabout, which mm-hmm. seems like a terrible place for it. And, and it's a really small one as well. Yeah, so getting, yeah. through with that, uh, getting through that one on a tractor trailer would be very difficult. So it's like, it's like they like the idea of the roundabout, but they don't know quite how to implement them to where right. it can be, you know, actually handle a decent amount of uh, professional kind of level traffic. And then roundabouts, roundabouts are just new to a lot of people. They've never right. experienced yeah, them yeah. before. So you come across one and you don't know what to do. I can totally understand. Yeah, well, there were plenty of them down in Florida. In fact, there was one called Confusion Corner where there were two right next to each other in downtown Stewart. <laughs> like where- a figure eight? Yeah, like kind of like a figure eight where like three or four uh, county and state highways intersected at this wow. particular spot. It's like infinity. Just keep, keep going. <laughs> there was only one uh, where I come from in Sarasota. Only one. It was called St. Armand Circle, and I had to go through it every single day mm-hmm. uh, when I went to work. It was out on the islands, and the radio station I worked for was out on the island as well. And this was... It was like the ritziest place in town where you could shop. All the stores were very expensive, you know, jewelry stores and fancy restaurants. Mm -hmm. And so there was a huge amount of traffic pretty much always at at this place. And it was very slow going to get through the roundabout because everybody's trying to park, and and so it wasn't a it wasn't a very effective roundabout. Like this roundabout was not to move traffic; it was to just allow people to access this shopping area. And it was so dangerous because people are you know when it, it's like a parking lot essentially, but it's also a roundabout. Mm-hmm. And as you know, or you may know, in parking lots, it's where a lot of accidents happen. Right. Because people are you know they get cocky; they figure they're moving slower than normal, so they're safer. When in point of fact, it's a really dangerous place to be because your vision is obscured half the time by other cars or you're paying attention to the kids in the back seat as opposed to looking at what's going on behind you. Right. You also have more pedestrians. Oh, yeah. Because they occupy the same space in a parking lot as a car does. You know, there's no sidewalk usually in a parking lot. So now combine a parking lot with a roundabout. And you've essentially got what this you know this business uh, area was, where there were all kinds of accidents that would happen. I knew that you know, given the amount of times that I was driving through this this place, at some point I would actually see an accident because sometimes you know you'd go through and you'd see the remnants of an accident. Somebody was getting cleaned up, mm-hmm. but I knew that eventually I'd see it. And sure enough, I did. Thankfully, I wasn't in it, uh, but it was a terrible idea. So <laughs> my experiences with roundabouts thus far have not been uh, very good. Just because most people don't know how to handle it around here. But given enough time, they would. And, you know, we've been dealing with traffic lights for our whole lives. Sure, yeah, uh, don't even think about it anymore. Exactly. Yep. So, we continue with your thoughts. Wolfgang is on the line in Vegas. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian, Jason, and... You were talking about trying to communicate to communists and lefties. And yes, I sir. think one really important 
interesting idea with doing that is realizing that the terms capitalism and socialism are loaded terms. They have uh, contradictory meanings, different meanings to different people. Mm-hmm. So um, sure. have you ever heard of the term state capitalism before? Mm. Well, Tell me more I about can it. guess what it means. You've never seen it. Has anybody used that before? I've seen it used before. Mm. All around the world, people are achieving success and making their dreams come true. You can be one of them. Whether it's wealth, happiness, business, or relationships, the only thing keeping you from achieving your goals is the desire to be successful and the know-how to achieve it. At allsuccessclub.com, you'll find the information you need to succeed from those who've already achieved it. Set your life on the path to success now at allsuccessclub.com. Talk Live. Apologies for any confusion there. We had kind of a messed up break. Uh, 855-450-FREE. That's the toll-free number. The website's going down. The brakes are screwing up here. It's a, a tech, one of those nights here on Free Talk Live. But thanks for sticking with us. Skynet must be taking over. We will uh, allow you to take control of these airwaves. Uh, 1-855-450-FREE. Did you see the latest uh, Terminator movie, the, the fourth one? Salvation? Yeah. Uh, no, fan. I still haven't. Uh, not yet. What You weren't a fan of that movie or yeah. of the series? No, I like the series okay. Uh, one and two was great. Uh, yeah, I you know I thought that uh, three was a lot better than some people said. Sure, it sure, uh, I I agree with that. But you know, two is obviously the best in my opinion. Sure. And then there's also the Sarah Connor Chronicles, which I enjoyed a lot. Yeah, didn't I mind thought that, that was very good. It was, it was one of those uh, TV series that was canceled too early. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's true. Uh, so eight five five four fifty free the number here. You can join us online. You can support the show by becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for as little as three bucks a month. We'll take that three dollars in, reinvest it into getting on more great radio stations across the country, bringing more internet listeners on board, and exposing new people to the ideas of freedom. So go to amp.freetalklive.com to get signed up. That's amp.freetalklive. Dot com as we continue here we've actually gonna we're gonna bring wolfgang back on because something happened with the the break didn't fire at the right time uh, in the last segment so wolfgang some of what we talked about many of our radio listeners did not hear so can you briefly recap what you were saying sure um the big point is, is that most of us have heard of social the word socialism used in in the context of socialism like the the utopian experiments in the 1800s were are pretty well understood to be voluntary, socialistic endeavors, right? Do you agree with that? You know, I don't know a whole lot about that uh, that history, but I certainly have no objection with the idea of voluntary socialism. It's just that most of the time when you hear it advocated, it doesn't appear to be in that uh, particular context. Right. It doesn't appear to be voluntary. They seem to want to force it on you. Right, so when you're talking to like these commies, be they really very status, or a lot of them call themselves anarchists and actually anti-status, and I've talked to a lot of them and have a lot of common ground with them. So why not tell them that you're against state socialism, but you're an advocate of voluntary socialism? Uh, well, because I'm not. Uh, you know, I, I'm an advocate of their ability to be a voluntary socialist. Yeah, I would, I would say I mean that. that. I think yeah. you should. I, I think. 
Yeah, I usually say, you know, if you want to go off and start a, a communal community and and be socialist, that's fine. But if you ever want anything from me, you're going to have to trade for it. You're going to have to, you know, s- sink to the level of capitalists. My favorite example oh. of uh, social, of like a kind of a comedy piece on socialism is it's an old Onion article. I know I've mentioned it probably ten times on this show over the last decade, uh, but it's called it's entitled uh, "Marxist Apartment: A Microcosm of Why Marxism Doesn't Work." <laughs> <laughs> and it's just brilliant satire from beginning to end about how you know communism can fail even on the most small of levels. Even when sure. you've got three participants, you know you've got people stealing each other's cigarettes and uh, you know not putting the top back on the peanut butter and not cleaning up. And you know, all I, kinds I of had things. this problem with a roommate in Portland when I lived out in Maine. Uh, she 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 said that you know I had to pay the cable bill. That was part of the agreement of me moving in. I had to pay, we split the heating bill equally, so I was like, okay, well, can you use it less then? And I got her to, you know, use the heat less. Whereas before, she was just blasting it, not caring, and I wasn't going to pay for that. Yep. Well, look, from my point of view, and I'm a hardcore Rothbardian individualist type libertarian, uh, but there's really not, there's no difference between free market capitalism and Free market socialism. If some people want to have some contractual arrangements amongst themselves and say, "Here's how we're going to commonly own things or not," and you know, our toothbrushes will keep as individual property, but the bathroom will be common. Well, I mean, there's a difference. I mean, if that breaks down. If that breaks down, it's the same way that free market capitalism breaks down when people start robbing each other and violating their agreements. I see what you're so, saying there. But, I mean, there is yeah, a difference point, in the structure of organization, but there it's sim it's yeah, similar it's in voluntary. Yeah. They're common in that they're both voluntary. So when we're talking to these people, still have to life, honor their agreements either way. That's uh, that's what you're exactly. saying. I exactly. get you there. Thanks, and, Wolfgang. I appreciate hearing no. from you. Let's talk to a different Chris. This one driving in New Jersey somewhere. Chris, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey guys. Hey, what's on uh, your mind? I, I was just going to throw in my two cents on traffic circles. Ian, you sounded like you were a little bit pro traffic circles. Uh, and, and in New Jersey, for, for as long as there's been highways, we had traffic circles. And over the last 15 years, we've been slowly getting rid of them in, in towns all over New Jersey. And traffic is significantly better. Um, circles are known throughout New Jersey to be one of the banes of driving around here. So um, I, don't, I don't think it's just about how wide it is or people not getting used to it. Like, they were terrible things to drive through. Well, New Jersey is just a terrible place in general. <laughs> so it doesn't surprise me that uh, yeah. everything works worse in New Jersey. And I've driven in New Jersey right. before, and it is a confusing experience. Yeah, jug, oh, right, the jug right. handles Jug handles. Stuff. Oh, those are awful. Yeah. And there's well, a- the best, I mean, to, to, to your point, when they started getting rid of the traffic circles, it took the government, the local government, probably about a decade to get rid of them. So in all the places where they were, it's not like they did them quickly, so there was still pain to get rid of them. Why so, do you, you think know. it's good to not have... Why, why do you feel it's improved? Are they putting traffic lights in instead? It's four-way intersections? No, no actually, no. I, I, I'm not a big fan of traffic lights or, or speed limits or anything like that. What, what they're doing is they're finding more intelligent ways to route traffic, if you can believe that the government's capable of that. They're, they're, there's more like overpasses and bypasses so that traffic that needs to continue straight sort of pops over people who need to turn. Um, okay. And they, they actually did it pretty well um, so that traffic in really dense areas moves more quickly. It just took them forever to do it. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I'd always thought about that as a possible option. It's, it seems like an expensive uh, solution, but, uh, you know, if that's... Right, yeah. yeah, and traffic circles are very affordable, I mean, compared to maintaining lights and all that. Sure. 
right. or building huge well, ramps you, and like some intricate uh, system that uh, it eliminates right. the circle well, and eliminates lights. Right. Even here, in when you want to get where you're going, and you're in a place that is as congested as New Jersey, traffic circles are are painful. Okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. I see where you're coming from. It would be interesting to actually see what the marketplace would come up with. With I mean, because some of these ideas, maybe you know, like you say, some of them are going to work in other places, and you know, maybe uh, the traffic circle is right for a low populated zone, but not for a high uh, densely populated zone. And it'd be great to have the market make these decisions and come up with innovations that we haven't even imagined yet uh, for these intersections. That's right. That's right. I want to see more blimps. (laughs) <laughs> Actually, airships, airship, yeah, dirigibles. Uh, airships might right. be making a comeback, and I think that's a good thing because like a lot the Zeppelin, of, yeah, like the Zeppelin. Oh, oh similar. Uh, they're gonna start uh, uh, replacing truckers up in like cold areas, like the Arctic and stuff. Uh, it'll just be so much easier for them to get there. That's sort of where they're starting to to come back in. Now, is there a way to make it less flammable? Okay, yes. the Hindenburg. <laughs> the Hindenburg was coated in powdered aluminum, and a, a small uh, static electric spark is what lit that thing up. Oh god! Oh, the not, not the helium. Yeah, <laughs> not the helium. And like, uh, well, uh, eyewitnesses claim that they saw a bright yellow light, and or hydrogen, not helium. And and hydrogen burns blue. It doesn't burn bright yellow. Hmm. I'll tell you, I would take a dirigible to get where I need to go in New Jersey with the traffic around here. Yeah, I heard that. Chris. I think we should just go steampunk all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call, man. Appreciate hearing from you at eight five five four fifty free. That's one eight five five four five zero three seven three three. So like a dirigible with a bunch of gears and steam. <laughs> Well, I was I was mostly kidding about that. Uh, I, I I like but the aesthetics. Def- of define steam. steampunk for people. Steampunk is. Um, is a speculative science fiction genre and sort of a, an art aesthetic as well, where imagine if uh, steam power really took off during the Victorian era and we had all the modern technology we have now, it was just all steam-powered instead of, you know, moving on to coal and then nuclear and whatever. Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, it's something interesting to study and to look at. It's, it's more of like an art form than, than anything else. Right, right. And there are festivals and stuff. and a lot People of, make outfits and, yeah, and yeah. things. A lot of DIY culture and open, open source culture and maker culture is involved in it. And uh, I think the Fab Labs kind of fit in with that that we talked about earlier. And I think that's a good idea for outreach. There's one coming up right before Porkfest in Nashua. And I want to see if I can organize people to go there. Just a steampunk convention? Yep. Oh. Now, how many people go to these things, Steampunk Convention? Well, I went to one in Waltham, Mass., which is right out of Boston, uh, for my birthday this year, and there was a good amount of people. I guess it just depends on where you are and what kind of an event it is. Would you say it, the popularity has taken off within the last uh, decade or two? Uh, like it, how, how new is well, Steampunk? Steampunk, technically Jules Verne is Steampunk. From the 1800s, right? Yes, yes. But um, people started picking it up in the 80s, like mm-hmm. riot, science fiction writers, and that's mainly where it comes from. So that's that's sort of the the, the renaissance of, of Steampunk, I guess, uh, is that it, it was originally just ideas in the Victorian era. So somebody liked that style and... Uh, Sort of just started rewriting Jules Verne type stuff. What's, again. what's a good steampunk movie? Ooh, uh, uh, Sucker Punch had some good steampunk elements. Yeah, there. a bit of yeah. it. Um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, there are more. More coming up here. Hour three on the way. Eight five five four fifty free. That's one eight five five four five zero three seven three three. Bring up anything. Free talk live. We wouldn't be where we are without our amplifiers. Their $3 per month helps us spread Free Talk Live and gets them access to perks at amp.freetalklive.com. 
This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything you want. We're launching into the third hour of the program. Plenty of time for you and your thoughts at 1-855-450-FREE. That's toll-free, and it's brought to you by SACL CAI. 1-855-450-3733. And joining you in the studio tonight, it's Ian. And Luther. As we continue here, uh, news internationally out of uh, Venezuela, where all kinds of crazy stuff happens with uh, Presidente Hugo Chavez. Now, uh, his policy of nationalizing strategic private businesses has taken a new twist with his announcement that his government will now expropriate hotels and even holiday homes at an upmarket Caribbean resort. The plans uh, ter- to turn Los Roques, an idyllic archipelago of deserted beaches of perfect white sand with swaying palms and dazzling coral reefs into a state-run getaway for his country's urban poor. Speaking on national television, he said that yachts and speedboats confiscated from fugitive bankers would be used to transport holidaymakers from the mainland. <laughs> this almost sounds like an Onion article. <laughs> this is uh, theindependent.co.uk. Uh, speaking on national television, he said that, uh, excuse me, though, confiscate yachts, uh, taking by, quote, there are some houses there that were illegally built. We are going to expropriate them. Talking by phone link rather than appearing in person, a tactic the president has increasingly used since starting uh, chemotherapy for cancer, he added that the archipelago and national park had been, had in effect, been privatized by Venezuelan and foreign members of the upper bourgeoisie. The measure may turn out to be one of Mr. Chavez's least controversial nationalizations. Los Roques was declared a protected area in 1972, and it's unclear why local authorities permitted any private properties on the islands, effectively allowing the archipelago to become one of Latin America's most exclusive beach destinations. Lying 95 miles off of Venezuela's northern coast, Los Roques is a paradise for birdwatchers, snorkelers, and scuba divers. Since assuming office in 1999, Chavez has overseen wide-scale nationalizations in Venezuela, including cement makers, steel mills, and large swaths of land belonging to international corporations but deemed idle by the government. And uh, there's a little bit more here, but uh, certainly would love to get your thoughts at 855-450-FREE. This is just a horrible situation in which to live. Yeah, it sounds like a... a a good way to de- destroy these beautiful beaches on these islands. Right. Let's just take it out of the hands of private owners who can take care of things as they see fit, as right. whatever's who best for the customers. want to take care of things. I mean, they, it's theirs. They want it to look good, so people are going to come there and they're going to yeah. spend a bunch of money. And now he's saying, well, we're just going to take some boats uh, from you rich people and turn them over to the poor folks so they can go and party at this uh, state-run resort. Right. As though it's going to stay as opulent uh, or as uh, you know, as luscious as uh, as it currently is now, and I'm not saying it's going to be the people that uh, that that go there that ruin it. Uh, I'm I'm saying it's the state running it that's going to ruin it. Sure, sure. Well, the state ran the beaches in Florida. I don't know how they were on the West Coast, but on the East Coast, they all eroded away, and they had to pick up dredge from the you know the bottom of the sea right. and dump that on. It was this nasty brown, really shelly kind of pebbly sand instead of nice white you know soft sand. They did the dredging on the West Coast uh, also, okay. and uh, I think they managed to get some good sand at at some points of it. I don't know all the yeah. details on that, but it was an incredibly expensive operation. Yeah, that much I know for sure. So Chavez has also forced some of the world's largest energy companies to renegotiate drilling contracts for the country's highly prized oil fields. And Venezuela now has the largest crude reserves in the world. Uh, 
However, this will be the first time that Chavez has targeted private homes. Not all of the nationalizations have gone smoothly, of course. Mr. Chavez's government took over several supermarket chains, justifying the move by saying they were not catering to the country's poor. The stores now sell food at heavily subsidized prices, but often lack basic staples. And shoppers frequently have to queue for hours. Really? Can you imagine? I know something like this happened in Russia while it was the Soviet Union. Called uh, breadlines. Well, even if you went to a normal store, you would have to have the store-owned basket in order to be inside the store. So mm. you had to wait outside. So if it was in winter... In Russia? Yeah, if it was... Uh, uh, yeah, uh, 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 <laughs> Pass the vodka around, you know, oh I guess. My. Yeah, you're going to freeze to death waiting for something for free food. I guess uh, Venezuela, I'm not sure how cold it gets down there, but I don't no. it's that, that yeah. cold. Uh, but all that said, can you imagine having to wait for hours just to buy from a store where they don't even have what you need? Basic staples? Right, right. Yeah, you're taking a gamble even just waiting. You could use that time to go to some <laughs> other store if it was in a free market. But boy, what would the poor do without uh, old Hugo Chavez there to take grocery stores on their behalf and turn them into total s-holes? Uh, yeah, I, I got nothing for you, Ian. I mean, like, seriously, like, do people really think like that? I mean, he's, he's a popular guy, right? I mean, he's he's got this uh, view. He's got this viewpoint of I'm here to help the poor and has managed to, to pawn that off on some people. I'm sure there are some people that know the truth in Venezuela and sure. uh, how many of them it is. I don't I don't know. I, that would be interesting to find out. Perhaps if some of our Venezuelan listeners uh all five of them uh, are out there tonight. That one of them could call at one eight five five four fifty free. And what's it like? What what is the liberty movement in Venezuela like? How widespread is the knowledge that this guy is a scumbag who's stealing things from people, turning them into state-owned property, and absolutely ruining them? Right. Yeah. Just turning them back over to everybody else, redistributing the wealth. Well, he's not turning it over to anyone else. The state's right. Yeah. He's, it. he's it's still his. It's basically his private beach now. Right. Exactly. So he's taking, which is one of the worst things about this, this idea of nationalism, besides the fact that the government's going to run something, is that they're just coming and taking things from people. Imagine, he's talking about here uh, how he's taken things like uh, cement makers, steel mills. Imagine being the investors in that cement. Uh, company or the steel mill yeah. you've put forth I don't know, millions of your dollars to to launch this uh, this operation yeah, and hours of your time you know and years maybe even likely yeah and any business that you start you're likely pouring in a whole bunch of time if not a bunch of money and other people are pouring in a bunch of time mm-hmm. um and, and and as a result you build a successful business and it's in a lot of cases when you're running a business in the beginning it's a it's a difficult task i mean you you're starting from negative and you're trying to make it work and you've got competitors and you've got to get customers you've got to get make people happy it's no easy thing free talk live didn't make a dime for five years so you know in the be in the beginning of a big business you're way in the hole mm-hmm. so just as you get out of this hole right as soon as you finally you know pay off all your debts you've got a good business you've you've made a you know a real foothold in the venezuelan marketplace then all of a sudden old hugo chavez comes in with a big smile on his face and says hola i'm here to take your business <laughs> and uh, it's fun to go to the poor tu casa es mi casa yeah. aquí. <laughs> <laughs> your house is my house now oh uh, ahora would be it would be now i'm sorry what, aquí, I, what is aquí here here okay right. i get those mixed up 
so so yeah, I think just how outrageous is that? You get nothing right. from that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I like how he, he blames, you know, the bourgeois for these beaches, but he pretty much just took it for himself. I mean, you, I'm sure he wants in on that. If not, if he didn't already have a beach house there, which he probably did. Yeah, I'm interested uh, to see uh, he, how this pans out. He is the bourgeois, you know, and that's that's what it's like with all communist countries. Of course. You know, the state becomes the new bourgeois. The it's elites. Meet, yeah. the, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. And they just really have to program people hardcore to get them to accept this stuff and rule by force. Yeah, uh, which is yeah. a lot of propaganda factor. goes into it, uh, and like you said, fear, fear tactics work. Expropriating Los Roques, this is the islands we're talking about here, could help position Chavez, who's 57, had a surgery to remove a malignant tumor from his pelvis in June for presidential elections next year. He's massively popular with Venezuela's poor, but his poll ratings now hovering around 40 percent are some 30 percent below their historic high. So eh, maybe he'll lose the election and some other tyrant will uh will get put in down there. Sure, sure. Or he'll just rig the election, uh, which... There's always that. Yeah, that happened in Nicaragua. I mean, the, the whoever the president they have there now, I can't think of his name right now, you know, he he was he point, appointed himself, held open elections, and then rigged the election so that he won. I'm very curious to see how this ends up panning out. Sure. Like, is he going to take a portion of the island and restrict it from the poor? Like, so he will have a section of the island for him and his buddies, and then they'll have, like, the poor section where the, the poor can basically squat in an old, really opulent hotel and tell themselves that they're having a, a vacation. Uh, 1-855-450-FREE. Plus, I want to know more about these shopping markets, too. It's Free Talk Live. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phones, office products, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supplies, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Shop.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, get a great deal, and a portion of your purchase goes to benefit Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon via shop.freetalklive.com. Talk live. You can bring up anything. Dial in toll free. 1 855 450 free. That's 855 450 3733. And of course, you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We give you the features for free. The webcam is there. You can watch, you can listen, and the site's back up, by the way. Uh, you can watch, listen, and interact because the chat room's built into the very same page over at cam.freetalklive.com. That's cam.freetalklive.com. And uh, like everything else on our site, it's completely free. Now then, one of the things you can do to support Free Talk Live is to contribute bitcoins. And you've been hearing about the bitcoins for a while now, and maybe you didn't know how to get them. Well, now there's an easy way. You can get your bitcoins by depositing cash at thousands of banking locations across the U.S. And once you have those bitcoins, you can use them to pay anyone in the world with no transaction fees or third parties getting involved. And I just saw the uh, bitcoin price has gone below three dollars Per Bitcoin, it has been as high as thirty. Now, remember, this is a brand new digital currency that is completely uh, decentralized. It's an incredible product, uh, and it's it's been all over the map as far as its price uh, is concerned. When I bought my first ones, it was uh, lower than a dollar. It went shot up 
to, you know, like I said, over $30, I think, at one point, and now it's down below 3 So <laughs> there's no guarantee that this is going to go up or down. Who knows what's going to happen, but it's new, it's exciting, and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a person-to-person cash transaction, but it's all over the Internet. So go and learn more over at exchangebitcoins.com. That's exchangebitcoins.com. And if you want to send us a Bitcoin or two as a tip, uh, you can do that over at bitcoin.freetalklive.com. So we were talking about uh, Hugo Chavez in Venezuela and some more of his expropriations, which means he takes whatever you've created for yourself and he gives it to his buddies. Yeah, uh, It's called nationalization. You take a business that's become successful and then you run it into the ground as, as the government because governments don't have the same incentives as businessmen. Mm-hmm. And if you put a businessman in front in charge of the government, as some politicians would tell you that, well, I'm a businessman, you should let me run the government. It doesn't mean anything because governments don't have this. It's like the complete reverse of business in government. If you fail, it means you get you get more money. Right. Yeah. Obviously, you need more money because you spent it all. Right. And you get to take it, too. So, like, sure. there's no uh, having to satisfy the customer. You just demand more money. And if this customer does the customer doesn't give it to you, well, then you can put them in a cage. Right. They have to pay up. Or maybe you could steal their home. Yeah, it may not, yeah, it may not yeah. end up a cage. But if you don't leave the There's home, There's all kinds of steal. leverage you have on them with force there where you can get that money one way or their assets one way or another. So I was looking for an example here because this piece that we were reading about the Hugo Chavez basically taking a resort – uh, he's taken a private resort that was very opulent. Uh, rich people were were going to this place, and he has decided to, t- to seize it on behalf of the state for the, the good of the poor. And I guess he's going to let him go and squat in there or something like that or turn mm-hmm. it into some kind of a resort for the poor that's run by the state. Uh, if If it's anything like his efforts with the supermarket chain, it's going to be just dismal and horrible. Because I was looking during the break to find out more about this, because the article only mentioned briefly that Chavez earlier, uh, like a year ago or so, took over a, a supermarket chain, you know, on behalf of the poor, mm-hmm. uh, and then essentially made it to the point where it didn't even have like common food staples, like the basic necessities right. of Bread food or, or flour, meat. Yeah. And, you know, water, <laughs> these things. So there's a piece here over at AmericasForum.com uh, that gets into this. And it comes out of Caracas. When Hugo Chavez expropriated the Friosa supermarket chain and food distributor in September of 2010, the shelves looked like the photo above. And envision your favorite supermarket. That's what you're seeing. You know, plenty of products. shelves. Variety of products. Yep. Happy people, full yeah. sh- full shopping carts, low prices. Uh, so they show you the picture of uh, this this supermarket chain, and like most supermarkets in Latin America or the United States, with a full selection of products. Earlier in 2010, the Venezuelan president also nationalized a French corporation's Exito and Cata brand supermarkets throughout the country, and accused after accusing them of illegally raising prices after Chavez devalued the currency. And according to the Wall Street Journal piece that announced that. Chavez devalued the currency by half. So Mm. he doubled the money supply in Venezuela. And for those of you that haven't heard this before, inflation is an increase in the money supply. Rising prices follows inflation. Right. It's a symptom of inflation. So when inflation happens, prices, the supermarket, which this is one of the ways Americans can see inflation. It's an easy way to see it is where your prices go up at the supermarket. Yeah, peanut butter is going to go up pretty soon. And that's because the wholesalers are raising their price. Right. 
And so the supermarket has to raise yeah, their price. They, they have to. And if the money's worth less, then you have to raise prices. You just It's more of an adjustment than anything. I mean, because yeah. if if the money's worth less and it takes more bills or pesos or whatever, canetas, uh, to, to pay for to Exactly. Buy so if, if Chavez doubles the money supply and, and halves the value of the money, well, then you can expect the prices at the supermarket to double. Mm-hmm. So the supermarket chain dared to increase their prices in response to the devaluing of the currency. So Chavez says, well, that's illegal. I'm going to take your stores. And that's what he did. He told reporters at the time he was, quote, attacking the speculative capitalist market by competing at lower, pr- competing at lower prices by selling food and household goods at the socialist chain Abastos Bicentarios. Or bicentenarios at uh, subsidized prices. We're selling beef, tuna, sardines, and sugar at half the price. We're dismantling the biggest speculation chain in the world, Chavez declared. Yeah, well, they can art. They have no incentive to make make money if it's a socialized one. I mean, they they can set whatever prices they want. They can set it as low as they want. Right, because as he said, it's subsidized. So he's taking money from other industries. He's taking property tax or whatever other industrial taxes that he's getting in from the rest of the economy, using that to subsidize these prices. And you'd think, okay, great. So that means that all kinds of people are going to be getting these cheap food and it's going to work out fine. And if you think that, it means you've never really looked at socialism before and communism and how it fails. Mm -hmm. In less than nine months after the Chavez regime forced the takeover of the companies the workers are holding protests to bring attention to the empty shelves and the new scarcity in their stores under chavez system global vision covered then they show a picture of the new shelves you can't even tell this is a store that has products in it wow just take a take a look at that luther oh wow yeah it looks like they just built a store and they haven't stocked the shelves yet yeah it's, it's exactly what it it's looks horrifying. like. There's nothing on the shelves. Like, not even a, a can or scraps here and there. There's you, nothing. You can see way down at the end of the picture that there's some stuff down there, but uh, Global Vision covered the protest earlier in the week and published photos of the shelves as they re- appear today, less than a year after they came under the management of the Chavez uh, regi- uh, regime. His government has already been embarrassed by a major scandal last year when 30,000 tons of rotting food staples were discovered in a government warehouse ruined and inedible. Wow, so they just they just kept it all away from people. They wouldn't even give it to them when they needed it. They, well, who knows what the reason was that they put yeah, all that food why, in the warehouse? Why could you possibly? I mean, did did they did it just get stored there and then forgotten because, you know, nobody <laughs> cared about it? I mean, what happened? How how does it get to that point? I don't know. It must and be how this... can you defend this kind of a system? It must be the same way the US government uh, brought trucks truckloads full of ice into a warehouse during Hurricane Katrina just to let it sit there. Right, right. Or we're turning people away who are trying to bring in ice and water. Exactly. It's just it's just piss poor management on the case of these government uh, bureaucrats who have no incentive to do anything right because they get paid their paychecks whether or not anybody's happy. 1855-450 free. A little more about the Venezuelan grocery stores and maybe you are down there, maybe you've got some more experience. We'd love to hear directly from you. It's Free Talk Live. This Your Family Today tip is brought to you by Boost Kit Essentials Nutritionally Complete Drink. Providing your picky eater with essential nutrition and great taste in one drink. Visit us at kitessentials.com. To make sure your kids eat healthy, follow the five-a-day plan. Serve three servings of vegetables and two servings of fruit daily. Remember, a serving could just mean a piece of fruit or a half cup of veggies. If your kids are picky eaters, ask a nutritionist about other sources. For more tips like these, visit us at parenthood.com slash yourfamilytoday.
is Free Talk Live. Dial in via the toll-free number. It is brought to you by SACL CAI, and it's 1-855-450-FREE, 855-450-3733. Have you been down to Venezuela in the last year and a half and seen these government-run supermarkets? We'll talk a little bit more about those coming up here in a moment. Also, coming up October 19th, blackthisout.com is where you want to go because, well, as you know, if you've been paying attention, Ron Paul campaign pretty much been ignored by the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. And uh, the time to stand up for freedom is now. You can go to blackthisout.com to be part of the largest grassroots donation effort in history. And it's the first step in getting government out of your life and the economy. Visit blackthisout.com to let the media know you won't stand by and let your freedom be blacked out. That's blackthisout.com, October 19th, for what is going to be, hopefully, uh, the biggest money bomb thus far, as they are called in the Ron Paul campaign history. That's what they're trying for. Yeah, well, good luck to him. Uh, It was interesting. I was just watching music videos on YouTube the other day. And a, an ad came up, and I wasn't sure what it was at first. I, I picked up quite, pretty quickly that it was probably something libertarian, though. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be a Ron Paul ad, and it was... On the internet? Yeah, oh, yeah. Cool. You know, uh, how uh, Hulu and YouTube will have ads, you know, right. before a video, you have to just sit down and watch the ad. And I actually gave you the option to skip it, but I, I wanted mm-hmm. to go ahead and watch it anyway. And it starts out, you know, imagine that a foreign... Uh, country invaded Texas and occupied Texas, you know, how would people react, you know, and it just kind of built from there. And it was really, really good at conveying. It was an anti-war message, right? It was, yeah, it was, was, and then it it goes on to say that Ron Paul has the strongest uh, foreign policy or uh, national defense uh, plan of any presidential candidate out there. Not to mention a whole lot of support from members of the military as well. Yeah, yeah, I've seen those numbers as well, almost like something like double what Obama has. When I was in jail, I saw a couple Ron Paul ads on the television in there. Huh. So they, they seem to be doing a good there, media yeah. buy. Which but the is... media won't talk about him. Yeah. So uh, so back down to uh, Venezuela. Have you visited? Can you tell us what it's been like? one uh, 450 free Maybe you live down there. Uh, because according to the story over at americasforum.com and relying on uh, another website known as globavision.com for some of their news, the Hugo Chavez government uh, expropriated the Furiosa supermarket chain as well as a, a couple of French uh, chains, Exito and Cada brand supermarkets, after the markets raised their prices in response to Chavez devaluing the currency. And so Chavez comes in and says, "He's we are going to subsidize the products at these stores. Now, when you subsidize something, you're selling it for below market value. Mm-hmm. Now... Anyone who's gone to basic, even government economics class in this school knows something about supply and demand. So when market value is whatever it is, and of course value is determined by whatever the buyers and the sellers are willing to come to an agreement at. Right. Whenever that number is, uh, you know, it's just subsidized, whenever it's falsely set at a number below where it otherwise would be, in this case Chavez taking money in from other areas and using it to lower the prices at his government-run grocery stores – what will happen to the products on those shelves? They're going to run out the door. Exactly. People are going to say, "Holy crap! I can get a loaf of bread for half price." Yeah, of what I can get at the you know the Megalomart. They're going to go out. and They're going to buy out every single loaf of bread. Yeah, on they're going the to stock up. They're going to be freezing <laughs> bread or just wasting it even because it's going to go bad. Exactly. But 
that's what happens when people can get things cheaper. They buy more of it. I mean, mm-hmm. It's just a natural thing that, that humans do. I do it. I buy rice when it's cheap, when grains are down, you know, or my pasta. I go down to the – there's a place called Ocean State Job Lot, and it's one of the greatest stores ever because yeah. they're, they're kind of a, like a liquidator store. And whatever, you know, other stores can't sell or won't they sell, will. they will, and I'll buy them, you know. <laughs> I'll buy, I buy my oils there. I buy canned foods there, you know. Yeah, and, and, and then I go to the real grocery store for, you know, my meats and my produce and my seafood. So you've got these people that are just literally cleaning out the shelves. And, of course, governments aren't like businesses. They don't care about competing. Whether you come into their store or not, if their government's running a store, they don't care if you come in or not. So they're not going to be in a rush to reorder the products. Right. And they're, they're just the, – the inefficiencies of the system is just – it's just been shown – so clearly uh, by this piece where it's showing you a before and after photo of the shelves at one of these government-run grocery stores. Before it was taken over, it was a bustling store uh, with uh, all kinds of sh- products on the shelf, and then afterwards, the shelves are barren. Now, back to the piece here from AmericasForum.com. There is an explanation, of course, uh, just like when you ask the North Koreans why things are so bad there. They blame it on the United States. Right. Uh, they, they, it's There's a- always some boogeyman, like Chavez earlier yep. was blaming the, the bourgeois, whoever they are, you know. So- Everyone who's not him. That's right. Rich. Everyone, yeah. Yeah. He's the only okay rich guy because yep. he's for the poor people. Ivan Gil, Chavez's vice minister of agro-productive and agri-food circuits, Ministry of Agriculture and Lands, blamed the shortages on speculators, telling the state-run news agency that right-wing sectors were using hoarding as a weapon instead ahead of elections and as political blackmail to use people's need for food. Now, now wait a minute. I, I don't know too much about <laughs> the speculative market. But doesn't that kind of keep prices a little more stable? Like if the price drops suddenly, speculators might buy into it, and then when it goes up, they'll sell, and that kind of helps these companies still make money even in I am not times? a financial expert either, but I know that if this is the claim on their part that, oh, well, it's the, it's the wholesalers, they're holding back, they're hoarding the, uh, the, the food. Why would you do that? No, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, they don't. It doesn't happen in the marketplace. It sure didn't happen to this chain before it was expropriated. They had right. no problem getting their hands on food. Uh, so, if you know, it begs the question: if it's their suppliers that are the problem, why aren't they taking the suppliers too? What? Why not go ahead and just? Uh, I mean, I, I I find it hard to believe that all of the wholesale food coming in from Venezuela is coming in from outside of their shores. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly there are going going to be imports, but there have to be distribution centers that are you know sending this stuff out. Uh, that you know the, the place from which these things come. They're not coming straight from a boat to the store. Likely, there's likely some sort of warehouse mm-hmm. uh, that they're going to. So why not go ahead and just expropriate those too? That way you can just sell all the food in the entire country. Let's see how that goes because right now they're still private stores sure so look at how bad it is when people can still go to a private store the government store is just decimated Mm -hmm. you can still go to a private store and get all the selection of the products that you want to but you have this awesome opportunity that maybe they'll have what you need and it'll be half the price but they don't have it because it's sold out now but my point being if they did take over the entire food industry Mm -hmm. it'd be like this at every one of those stores everywhere uh, just like with the the Soviet Union, they had major food shortages because farmers, you know, had no incentive to produce, and even if they could produce, uh, well, they're being told to produce the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, because they're not responding to market signals. They're just, you know, the government's saying we need this many rations of this, so yep. produce that, whether you know it's really what people want or not. 
And so the farmers would go ahead and do that. It'd be it would be not what people wanted. It would be just, you know, what the farmers were making. The Venezuelan government, according to Gil, their minister here, has enough supply of basic food items to meet domestic demand. We can assure the country that production and supply indexes show that we are able to meet the Venezuelan people's food demand. It's great to say that, but the proof's in the pudding, dude. You don't have products on the shelves. Yet even the communist and socialist parties of Venezuela are becoming impatient with the scarcity and held a press conference two weeks ago to protest the very minuscule success of Chavez's socialist enterprises. The Communist Party of Venezuela questioned the surge of a new bourgeoisie and a nouveau riche and parasitic class that's taking advantage of the Venezuelan state via bureaucratic corruption. So even the commies in Venezuela are saying, hey, you're doing it wrong, which is, of course, always what the communists say. Right. This isn't real communism. Right. These people, according to the communists, are naturally rapacious and opportunistic and do business under the guise of legitimate enterprises and have thrived from the sale of public resources. Those responsible are, quote, disguised with the clothing and the language of supposed revolutionaries. We have to identify them and combat them, unquote, said a Communist Party spokesman. Just let us run the the grocery stores and we'll show you how it's done, Hugo. Yeah, I don't think so. Right. Because communism fails. Force fails. That's why. You can't use force and try to make things work. Because voluntary interactions work better. Every time. one 450 free That's the toll-free telephone number. Uh, if you've got more about Venezuela, we'd love to hear from you. Also, there's plenty more on the way here. And time for you and your thoughts. one 450 free You can take control in the remaining moments of Free Talk Live, which are coming up next. The first secret to success is recognizing opportunity. The second is to act on it. But how do you gain the skills to know how and when? AllSuccessClub.com Meet successful individuals online and in exotic locations around the world. Find out from the rich and famous how they went from rags to riches and learn how to achieve financial independence for yourself. Your path to success begins now at AllSuccessClub.com This is Free Talk Live. You may take control of the airwaves even in these remaining moments. Time for you and your thoughts at one 450 free That's 855-450-3733. Joining you tonight, it's Ian. And Luther. And we invite you to our website. Head on over to freetalklive.com. If you've got a smartphone, you can go to m.freetalklive.com to get quick access to our live streams and the podcast. And m.freetalklive.com will get you there. M as in mobile.freetalklive.com. So, we'll take your calls about what you want. Let's go to Kelvin, listening in Colorado on the amp lines. Hey, Kelvin. Hey, good evening. Hey, what's on your mind? Hey, so uh, I understand that while you were in the uh, Cheshire County uh, Spa and Religious Retreat, uh, that uh, a lot of people were sending books uh, in there for you. You were probably totally inundated. Yeah, well, uh, thankfully I wasn't inundated uh, because if I'd been inundated, that would have been real bad because then I would have had to have given a bunch of them up before I could even read it. There was a rule that said that I could only have three at a time. So if somebody, you know, if I got a, if somebody sent four, for instance, I would have to give one up. And if I had another two that was in my possession that I hadn't finished reading yet, I'd have to give three up. Uh, so, I mean, I, I could only have a very limited amount of books 
that were sent to me at any given moment. It actually ended up to where the whole time I was in there, I constantly had books to read. Uh, of course, I could always get them from the jail library as well, and I did read a number from the jail library. So I always had enough books to read, and there was only one or two times when I had to give up a book without ever actually being able to read it. Well, that probably did some uh, of the other uh, prisoners in there some good to I would think so. good liberty-oriented stuff. Uh, uh, the things that got me into uh, uh, interested in liberty originally were uh, Robert Heinlein's juvenile law. Uh, novels like uh, How Spaceships Will Travel, Space Cassette, or Space Cassette, yeah, Space Cadet, uh, and then some of his more adult titles like The Moon is a Harsh Mistress and Starship Troopers, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Enemy of the State, and uh, some nonfiction like uh, Economics and One Lesson. I think that was uh, Hazlett that uh, wrote that one. I've heard good things anyway, about that. I was one- yeah, it's a it's a great book because it it explains things on a really low level and and they they're just the things that make so much uh, common sense uh, sense that I think it's a good outreach uh, kind of tool for people to read and it just sort of opens their minds like well this is a different way to think of it than the way I've always been told and taught in the uh, government school. Yeah, I've heard nothing anyway. but good things about economics in one lesson. I have not actually read it myself. Uh, Luther, have you had a chance to? No, but I don't read a lot of fiction. Um, uh, economics in one lesson is not fiction. But oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. But the I... other things were. <laughs> the, the other books were. And I'm with you. I don't read a lot of fiction either. But for yeah. some people, Eca- it's right. But that book, no, I haven't read that. Um, somebody did offer me a copy of it, though. I didn't take it. Yeah, it's a, a real easy read and very informative. So after you read it, it's great to pass on to other people that might not be, uh, you know, need a little persuasion and some uh, common sense. Arguments. Yeah, I think it's so important to have easy reads because I don't. I if I read an academic sounding book, I just start. I I can't even get through a page of it without <laughs> having to read it over again, and even then, I still can't quite uh, grasp it. And it's just it's stuff that's over people's heads. It's not going to work very well, and that's why I've I've heard that recommended many of times. So what else? Uh, so I was just interested in of of the, the books you read there in uh, while you were in uh, convalescence or whatever. Uh, which ones did you enjoy most and get the most uh, out of? Because I, I know that maybe you haven't read some of the, the classics of libertarianism. And I did get I, to read one but, of the classics, uh, For a New Liberty by Murray Rothbard, which I thought was, you know, it was pretty good. It was really dated, though, because a lot of the numbers that he uses are from, you know, the early 1970s or the late 60s. And so... Uh, it, the, 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 the amount that people were getting paid back then is, it seems so small in comparison to what they are today. Obviously, inflation means that they're actually getting paid the same or less uh, today. But uh, it's, it's weird reading all those old, those old numbers. So I wouldn't recommend it to anyone based on that, just simply the fact that it's, it's so old. There were a couple of things that I, I picked out that I enjoyed that hadn't – like points that hadn't really been made very well in, in other books – uh, one of the points that he made that I thought was really useful was that the idea that the Constitution is so is so valid uh, is dangerous for people because the the Supreme Court is part of it, and essentially the Supreme Court acts as this institution whose job it is is to constitutionalize things that are wrong, like to 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 look at an issue and say, oh yeah. 
that's constitutional to have the cops come in and search your home or whatever it is that they're they're looking at. Oh yeah, it's constitutional, and that way all the people that support the Constitution will say, oh, Supreme Court says it's constitutional, so it must be constitutional. So it's kind of like this tool that, uh, that he points out the Supreme Court is this, this tool yeah, to just expand sort of, it. Yeah, it sort of self uh, interprets itself in that way so that it can be whatever it wants to be. Right, and then other people will just look at it and uh, not think critically because, well, it's, if it's constitutional, Supreme Court says so, so you don't even have to think about it anymore. And uh, and that that was kind of a cool point. I thought it was overall it was a good book. It was it was well written. It wasn't one of my favorites that I read. That was since you brought up classics, I figured I'd throw that one out there. The one I really liked, I called about uh, on Free Talk Live. It wasn't particularly a you know really liberty oriented thing, uh, but it had its themes. And that was Lemuse, which is a graphic novel um, mm. at uh, BigHeadPress.com is where folks can order that and actually read it online for free as well. Uh, which was like one of the coolest. I never really read very many superhero uh, comic books growing up, but this is essentially a superhero comic book, but with like a very metaphysical uh, element to it, sure. which I thought was. Com- Comic books are more like that now, and certainly when you're a kid, you're going to buy. There are still comic books directed at kids, but there are a lot of comic books out there directed at adults. This is an adult comic, for sure. sure. And there are plenty of libertarian uh, themes in comic books, actually. Uh, especially with like Captain America, he's very libertarian uh, for the most part. Yeah, so I got that, and uh, there was another comic uh, novel that was sent, The Escape from Terra, the first book of that, which I thought mm-hmm. was was pretty good uh, as well. And uh, other books, you know, I had uh, fiction and a number of others. I actually wrote them all down, but I don't have them in front of me right yeah. now. The books that got me into Liberty were actually uh, Thoreau was one of the big ones. I looked for that one. I had heard the jail had a copy of Civil Disobedience, yeah. and I asked the— Usually it comes in like a package deal. You get Walden, which was his greatest writing, or his greatest novel, basically, and then mm-hmm. uh, Civil Disobedience, which is, was considered his greatest speech, later made into an essay form. They, they couldn't find it, though, unfortunately. Oh, darn. Um, it's it, convenient. Well, yeah, yeah, and it was convenient. One of the problems with this jail is you can't actually go to the library. So they have a very good library there with lots of books in it but you as the prisoner cannot go to it and browse it you pretty much just have to deal with whatever they put on some cart so they randomly or maybe not so randomly put books on a cart and then that cart kind of makes the rounds of the jail throughout the week and you can select books off the cart uh, but you don't actually get the the full selection you don't ever have any idea uh, what the what the full selection is and at one point i actually offered to go and volunteer to organize the library because one of the co's told me that it was pretty much just books thrown up on shelves like nobody takes the time to organize them so I had volunteered to do that. They apparently have some guy that comes in from the outside to volunteer in that way, but it wasn't you know, the job wasn't near finished, and they never even bothered writing me back on that one. So I, I tried to get in there, but uh, was was unsuccessful at that. Hey, uh, thanks for the call, man. Uh, I appreciate hearing from you tonight at eight five five four fifty free. I liked also some of the religious uh, stuff that I was reading, like The World's Religions, which was a book, like a 300-page book, about all the major world religions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, covering Muslims, covering Christians, you know, different sort of different uh, divisions between them as well, like yeah. so, kind of going between Orthodox, uh, Greek Orthodox, or Orthodox Christianity, and uh, Catholicism, and Protestantism, and, um, and then there was, uh, mm-hmm. let's see, they, they also talked about Buddhism, and Hinduism, and Taoism. 
So that yeah. was really that was interesting. Oh sure, yeah, and all that can be interesting. I mean, I always found comparative mythology re- really interesting, which is when you kind of look across the spectrum of stories that are told and analyze them, compare and look at and the contrast. similarities. Yeah. yeah, and there's a lot of similarities that you'd be surprised. Really, about. it's uh, yeah. They talk about that the Zeitgeist film where they talk about how a lot of these religions have been the same story told over and over again with slight uh, slight tweaks and right. Characters. Uh, George, uh, not George Lucas, though George Lucas was influenced by him. Joseph Campbell uh, called it the the hero with a thousand masks. It was the same hero archetype. He just had, you know... Somebody told me I needed to read a Joe Campbell book called, like, The Hero's Journey. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, can you tell me what the 53% thing is here in the last minute or so? Of the uh, show? Well, you know, I hear the occupiers talk about the 99% a lot and the yeah. 1%, and they aren't don't seem to be entirely clear on that so the 53 percent is a conservative movement and it refers to the 53 percent of people who actually pay taxes for the entire country i guess that's some kind of statistic where a lot of people don't pay taxes Mm -hmm. um and so the group is responsible uh is a group of responsible young people organizing across the country however they're not oh the idea is they're responsible because they pay taxes um i i guess so i mean but they have some some posters here i'll read some of the things they've written um i own a small business i've lost everything before it could happen again i take risks so my kids can have a better life uh not so you can sit on your ass at my expense i am the 53 percent you know, if there weren't any taxes, they wouldn't be able to get so upset about uh, people just slacking because then they wouldn't be on the line. They, their, their wallets wouldn't be on the line to support those folks. I understand where they're coming from, but I don't think it's uh, honorable to pay taxes. Yeah, so. nor is this a constructive way to deal with the Yeah, absolutely true. We're out of time. Tomorrow night, see you then. Freetalklot.com. And now it's time for the Leadership Radio Minute with tips and advice on how to maximize your own leadership potential. Here's international leadership expert and New York Times bestselling author, John C. Maxwell. As a leader, does it matter if you like the people you lead? The answer is yes. Good leaders shift their focus from me to we. They like people and treat them as individuals. They develop relationships and win people over with interaction, which creates a positive working environment. The workplace becomes more friendly. People begin to like each other. Chemistry starts to develop on the team. People no longer possess a have-to mindset. Instead, it turns to want to. The workplace becomes more enjoyable for everyone, leaders and followers alike. If you want to be a more effective leader, find something to like in everyone you lead. For the Leadership Radio Minute, I'm John C. Maxwell. For more information on how to maximize your own leadership potential, please visit johnmaxwell.com. True leadership isn't a matter of having a certain job or title. In fact, being chosen for a position is only the first of the five levels every effective leader achieves. In his new book, The Five Levels of Leadership, leadership expert and New York Times bestselling author John C. Maxwell helps you to become more than the boss people follow only because they're required to. He gives advice on how to grow further, achieve results, and build a team that produces. The Five Levels of Leadership, the newest book from John C. Maxwell, is available wherever books are sold.